0: You're listening to Oh Yoshi Didn't podcast with
1: Yoshi Obayashi and Lilith Arvai. If you ever, all be sad? Lean on me when times get bad. When the day come, and I know you're down in a river of trouble,
0: you to try. Hi everyone, this is Lilith. Welcome to Yoshi Didn't. We're broadcasting from San Diego um, With a few good friends of ours um, We have Anthony here Helping us out with sound uh, Thank you so much, Anthony um, Anthony works for Idea Design Workshop Very cool guy um, We'll give you his Twitter handle in a little bit He's helping us out, thank you so much um, Yoshi is here, of course Mr. Yoshi Obayashi Want to say hi?
2: Thanks, Leigh By the way, Anthony's last name is Bench like Anthony Bench, Bench. Bench, baseball player. Okay. Um, he was very kind enough to do this for free, and, you know, we, we have very limited budget. So I really appreciate yes. him sparing his free time. And we're releasing this episode on April 15 when I'm landing in Afghanistan with my friend David Cho. We're doing charity work for one women a year dot org, and uh, hopefully we bring a lot of profile to the program, start sending girls to school because... It's a very controversial issue, right? Mm -hmm. Should we support the military there or take them out of there? I'm not an expert, but one thing I know, soft power thinks that we could help them is education and um, providing work and uh, entertainment. So hopefully we could bring a lot of profile uh, with David Cho's graffiti work and help help these girls because that's one thing Taliban hates, well-educated girls and women.
0: Well, they systematically deny education for females yeah. and any kind of right for females in Afghanistan. So it's amazing that you guys are going to go do that.
2: So as you guys are uploading, this you're here. Ep- you're, you're right. You're
0: you're in Afghanistan right now.
2: As as, as you guys uploading this episode, um, we'll be traveling through Kabul, Kabul, Afghanistan, and doing artwork and uh, visit a couple of secret schools because these girls have to hide to get a decent education. So. Um, and I'm very delighted to have Lilith's friend, yes. Devin Reed.
0: Devin Reed is here today.
2: And Hello. because um, this is somebody who cares about America, patriot, served in the military, mm-hmm. and um, we could learn a lot from him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's very brave for two things phys- physically serving, but uh, ideally speaking against the war, mm-hmm. it's not very easy to do that. Um, so uh, we, I have a lot of questions, I'm sure you have a lot of questions, yes. but maybe you, you could give intro by giving his background. Sure, and then, and, I'll know.
0: give like a brief background and then let you talk about yourself more, you know yourself better sure. than I. Um, Devin, well Devin and I met in Venice, right, we lived in Venice together in the same building and uh, Devin is a Iraqi veteran, so he served for eight years, uh, he's a marine, he uh, also served in Africa for a little bit, right, towards the end. Um, <clears throat> He is a very talented guy. He not only was very brave to serve for us um, and then join a group called Iraq Veterans Against the War, which I hope you will talk about more later, um, but he is also uh, a visual effects artist. You've done that. He's worked on the movie Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Um, he's made his own Star Wars film. Can I, is that okay? Do we have to edit that out? Do you we definitely. Say <laughs> wanna, we definitely want to talk about that. <laughs> yep, uh, Yoshi being the big Star Wars fan he is. Um, so, and um, let's see, where was I getting? Where was I going with this? Um, yeah, why don't you just tell us about?
2: Don't forget he's a proprietor of a new business. In so San yes, Diego. Happy Owl.
0: That's right. So he also has his own business called Happy Owl Studio, um, which is making cash boxes out of bamboo, organic bamboo, and they make these handmade here in San Diego. So it's American made. Um, yeah, uh, I have my own affinity for Happy Owl, which I yes, am very yes. proud of. For us a while ago, that yeah, was really awesome. um, <laughs> and uh, I can stand by their products and as very an well made.
2: Person who doesn't like bamboo? <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: That's right. quals <laughs> yeah, love that shit. Yeah. Um, and by the way, guys, also if y- just heads up, you can uh, please go to our Facebook page. Uh, Yoshi didn't like our page, and we'll have uh, pictures and more information about our guests there, so you could get to know them better. Um, and also on our website, didn't.com Go check it out. Um, learn more about our guests and our episodes there and check out the pictures. Um, and you can even donate if you wanted to to our cause, but you don't have to. But that's up there as well. So anyway, um, that's a little bit of intro. Devin, thank you for being Hi, here. Thank you for thank you. having us here.
3: You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, fill in the details just a little bit. I joined um, the Marine Corps in uh, two thousand right as Bush was taking the oath of office, and I, I joined the reserves, um, kind of thinking that was the, the lowest impact. I get to go to boot camp and have some fun doing that and call myself a Marine, but n- not have to live the life, uh, active duty for, for four years. Um, and unfortunately, a month after School of Infantry was 9-11, so that the world changed pretty dramatically. I, I joined in order to, to pay for college and, and didn't get a single semester of college out of it. Mm. Uh, so we got activated uh, shortly after 9-11, and we did a a year of a quick response force mission in Camp Pendleton, and then um, what? We what were, is that? I'm sorry. Basically, it was weird because we were a uh, we were an infantry unit with our own specialized uh, military mm-hmm. occupational specialty, and my platoon was a was a mortar platoon. So our job was firing 81 millimeter mortars about up to three miles away or so. Um, so you you have a very specific training regimen to be able to do that job well. Okay, um, and. And that's mixed in with every single Marine is a basic infantryman, so every Marine needs to be proficient with his rifle. And so we get activated, and rather than doing our primary jobs and training to be mortarmen and training to be infantrymen, we are given um, uh, orders to basically keep an eye on the West Coast in the case of a further potential uh, terrorist attack. Mm. Our jobs wouldn't be to go fight terrorists. They would be to go quell upset civilians. So we got riot gear, and we trained with riot gear for a couple of months. See. We had you know big, full six foot shields, and we had uh, batons and 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 black uh, uh, knee guards and shin guards and stuff like that, and helmets, and we just marched around practicing to to push back a a, a, a group of people that were unruly, and that was a little strange for us. But um, we only did that for about six months. It was supposed to be our primary mission, and we trained a bunch of uh, go. You know, as quickly as you can and rush down to the airplane and and get on board and and get ready to go. Because the the purpose of a quick response force is that they run a a number of different what's called tethers where one group has to be able to respond to something within four hours. Another group has 12 hours. Another group has 24 hours. So that group whose job it is to respond within four hours means they don't get to take any time off. They they can't leave. They can't be more than half an hour away from, well, their kind of area. They can't walk away from their area in Camp Pendleton. And uh, you do, you know, four or eight-hour security guard shifts where you're just patrolling around a bus right. full of all your gear and stuff like that. So it was it was pretty intense for a long time. And then after a while, our battalion commander was like, yeah, this is, you know, this isn't happening, and we're trained up, we're good at it, so let's start training in our in our primary infantry roles again. And we started getting back into being Mormon, being and, and we were, where we were activated was at the same place as the division schools. Um, First Marine Division would do all these competitions right. as units would come through and, and train on doing things. So they started a division weapons competition for mortarmen and we weren't in the division because we were a reserve unit, but since we were right there and we worked we talked to their trainers a bunch, yeah. they invited us to participate in the in the competition. And it was it was when you take a bunch of guys that spent their their two, three, four, five, eight years as a Marine entirely in the reserves where they're only working one weekend a month and, and yeah. maybe two weeks a year, um, and they, they grow their, their rank during the course of that period. They're not necessarily the guys that are best suited to take care of you when you're on active duty. Right. So there was a bunch of really overworking. There was, there was, you know, 100-hour weeks, one day off for the weekend, maybe on Sundays, and of course, no one can, can't go take care of your financial needs and stuff yeah. like that. So everyone's stressed out. And they're just stepping it up and stepping it up and stepping it up. And then we get word that we're going to do this competition that gets even worse and there's these big blowouts in the platoon about the yeah. sergeants hating the, the the PFCs that won't work hard enough. The PFCs saying, hey, we're doing all the work. Well, the end result of it was that we won. We, we scored better than anyone in the division. So we get word that, that uh, the brass in, in, in D.C. is like, ooh, look at this interesting reserve unit. They're, they're the largest infantry reserve unit we've got, and they're doing really, really well. So well, what's the, the number starts, about we're talking here? Well, a normal infantry unit is maybe seven 800 guys, and we were 1,000. So I'm not saying. dramatically, but it's just, you know, as a reserve unit, you're, you're, the numbers in each squad might not be as specific, so we were especially yeah. large. Um, and we were also doing pretty well because we were getting owned for that whole year. So word up about Iraq, and I remember when uh, Congress was voting on it. We're all sitting around in, in the in the um, squad bay having lunch, and someone's got their TV. Every every time at lunch, someone's got their TVs on. And usually, it's like dating shows or porn, but in this case, someone's got C-SPAN on, and Congress is is voting on the authority to, to for Bush to to take us to war. And it happens, and we're all like, "What Iraq? What are you What are you talking about? Like we've been watching." The invasion of Afghanistan happened in the in the in the chowl every day on TV, and uh, and we kind of knew that we might be a part of that, but no one could have thought of rock like where did that come from? So you
2: you signed basically a month before nine eleven. Well, I signed
3: before yeah. that. But I was I was only fully committed when, and graduated in a full fledged Marine one month before August eleventh.
2: Okay, so so nine eleven happened. What's I mean you are no still you, what's going? Yeah, you, yeah, no you're kidding. a kid, basically. Okay, yeah. Right.
3: Well, actually, at the time when I, when I graduated, my whole plan was to finish the, the Star Wars fan film that we'd seen. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we'd been working on it for years and yeah, years Yeah, who doesn't want to do that? Right. <laughs> That's and, priority and, and for I me, too. And I get out of boot camp, and I'm in, I'm in better shape, and I'm all excited. I've had just months of thinking about yeah. it and stuff like that, and I just really want to work on it. And actually, we tried to finish it the day before I went to boot camp, and then the hard drives crashed. So I get out, and I'm like, well, let's finish this movie. And so I'm, I, I, I go up to Humboldt State University, where a friend of mine is, is going to school. And spend, and I'm planning on spending a couple of months. <laughs> well, I, I didn't know because, you know, I was still signed mm-hmm. up. I, I'd never tried it. I actually find out on, on 9-11 that, that some people very important to me were smoking my entire life. And I could have up until the point I joined. And then I'm like, yeah. great, you tell me this now. I <laughs> can't get high with you because I'm, I'm very much, uh, uh, you know, in a, in a job that very much mm-hmm. tests very often. Drug test. Were, were, you, were you, like, I, I don't, I don't want to say scared, but, like, what's going through your young head? Like... Right, well, the funny thing is it's about a week after my birthday and my friends get woken up by my, I'm 21, yeah. I just turned 21, my my friends get woken up on my birthday by my mom calling at the crack of dawn and singing happy birthday. So a week later, 9-11 happens and my mom calls again and, and his girlfriend comes out, Devin, it's your mom again, what is it, your birthday again? And she's calling and saying, oh my God, we're at war, turn on the TV. And it's it's like, you're absolutely in shock. How could How could this possibly happen? And of course that they're talking about that it's, that it's Arab terrorists and all this other stuff. It's like, holy crap, I'm I'm going to war. I was supposed to I was supposed to go to just, college. You know, go to college <laughs> yeah. and and just enjoy my life. And I'm I'm up here in Humboldt trying to finish a Star Wars fan film and now suddenly we're under attack by by foreign terrorists. So it changed everything. Absolutely. Like within a week I was on a bus back to San Diego. I was like, What is going on? I don't know what's happening. Am I gonna get activated? Am I going to war yeah. with Afghanistan? What's going on? So it was it was quite intimidating, but it was something that you can't really process. You you know, you get excited because while you're on boot camp, you're just training. You're spending all your time training to to shoot stuff. You shoot yeah. targets, and you think, "Well, one day that'll be a real person because it's much more, you know, it means something at that point." And so now you're like, "Okay, my, all this training means something. I'm going to go do this job now." But that's a really scary thought when you never imagined that you would do that. You just thought you'd you know do your two weeks or whatever. Yeah,
2: it's it's, it's kind of ironic because that's the closest thing I experienced, like for older generation, like Pearl Harbor. I mean, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. from Japan, so that's kind of weird thing to say, but. I mean, it really, like, I didn't think I would live a... Live through another Pearl Harbor? Yeah, and, right. mm-hmm. and then... Um, um, I was actually watching... I got up early Tuesday. I was watching it, and the uh, first one hit, thinking, like, this is a tragic accident. Oh, my God, how terrible. Yeah, yeah then, then I was watching. And of course, the second one hit, and you, you know. I mean, obviously, this is... Something. Astronomical, is that this is a complete accident, you right. know. So... I I never met your parents, but I can only imagine. Like it must be a terrifying time for them because oh, yeah. they don't know what the hell was going on. No. My son joined the military; he's a Marine. That so those are guys, those guys
3: that always going first. Uh-huh. God knows where. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, she told me break your leg. She said she said ask Chris if he'll help you break your leg and go to Canada <laughs> because because when <laughs> when I signed say, up, I, I'd love to break your leg. Right when I he did actually he very much did. He was in China at the time, um, and. When I signed up I had to talk to him and I had to talk to my mom. Basically were the the, the two people that needed to give me approval. Everyone else around me was like, "Okay, I'm 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 in, I'm in for this. It's okay." And he was like, "No, don't do it. Don't do it. The world is, you know, looking at a war soon. This is really this is this is an uneasy time." And my mom, she because because her father died at it when she was young and the only memories she had of him was that he was a war hero from from World War 2. So she was a hippie in in during the Vietnam days, but I think that she thought that was a unique experience yeah. in, in the American, you know, experience that, that we wouldn't do that again, and that her son joining the military, she, she kind of got right with it a few years before when I was in ROTC in high school, but so I was surprised that she didn't really have a big objection to it when I signed up, but again, a reserve in the U.S., mm-hmm. no reason to deploy, why would we, we're, a, we're at peacetime, you know, yeah. like, why on earth would we go anywhere? So she was terrified, she said, break your leg, go to Canada, I don't want you to go. Or be gay person. Or whatever, well, you, can't, you, can't, you can't say, well, I guess you could, I guess I could have thought of that. Yeah, you could. Don't say, ask you could don't declare tell. Your yeah. gayness and You'll be out right away.
2: Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. Well, you're not a coward. You should stick with it.
2: But how much time before nine eleven until you were sent to, uh, to Iraq? Yeah, we're there
3: for the invasion. So, so two thousand two. Uh, so we got activated about th- uh, four months after nine eleven, and the orders are one year with a possible extension to two years if necessary. And so we're coming up on Christmas of two thousand two, and we're and they're asking who was a full time student, who who worked full time, because. Uh, our orders are going to expire in January, and we're going to go ahead and start sending some of you back early. So we go on Wait, Christmas that, break.
2: But if you if you're a student, you if give you're your a full time
3: student, they would let you go back. And if you're if you had a full time job, you could go back. But this is only cutting you loose maybe a month early. Like our orders were going so to. So University of Phoenix doesn't apply, in right? So probably not. <laughs> um, so so our orders were only going to extend till till February or so. But you know, school starts in January, and everyone's right. gonna, they give everyone a lot of time off during Christmas. So we all go off on our time for Christmas thinking, Okay, great, we're 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 done. We're gonna, yeah. you know, be done in a month or two and we're wrapping it all up. And we get a call, everyone gets a call from their squad leaders or so halfway through it and it's like, No, nope, that's canked. We are uh, we're we're going to another country. This is getting extended. Now no one will say Iraq. The war the orders don't say that. Yeah. We can't tell but someone you know. that you're exactly. You start so we get back and we start getting issued sappy plates, which is the the armored plates that go in your stuff, and you start getting issued um uh, chemical suits and stuff like that. Oh, and these are things that are part of part of a uh, an issue where your whole time in the Marine Corps you have to be so worried about your stuff because yeah. from the day one of boot camp if you lose a thing, a, a boot, uh, a comb, uh, anything, you are just, it's it's the end of the days for you, you know. And everyone jokes that there's only ever been one thief in they the get, Marine Corps and everyone else is trying to get their stuff back. So there's a bunch of, <laughs> you have to keep track of every item that is issued to you and yeah. if you don't either have it or are able to return it to the one they tell you to, you're in big trouble. So, But this, this particular set of gear was a, was a set of gear that was issued to us with no expectation of being returned. It was, it, there, there was a specific well, set of issue because it's your war gear that you don't use when you're back at home. You don't use when you're in the barracks. Right. They have no need for it. Once it's been used, it's no good to them anymore because, yeah. because armored plates, once they've been on you and bounced around, and especially if they've been hit hip by yeah. anything... They're not going to give them to someone else. So that's that's kind of weird. Did, enough did to
0: that say. set in the realization of death for you? Was that ever a factor no, for you? No, not yet. Not, not yet.
3: yet. Um, there, it was still just it was still just you know this this weird excitement. We don't know if we're going what we're going. You know, like the day that someone that we watched the, the president get the power to send us to war, this dude goes strutting down the down the down the down the, uh, the squad bay in his towel and he's like, "Dude, we are never going to war. You give me a break. We're not going to war with Iraq. That's ridiculous." Everyone's like, "Yeah, he's probably right. He's probably right." You know, he had a—he was—he was, he was, he was a, a funny man. Everyone liked him. So, you know, we just—we just rolled our eyes and go, "Yeah, he's right. We're not going to war with Iraq." You didn't think they were going to send
2: you to Afghanistan?
3: We didn't know, you know, maybe they would. The invasion happened mm-hmm. um, like a week after 9-11. So we weren't even activated before before the invasion of Afghanistan started. Was it that quickly? Yeah. It, it, the first Marines, I actually have a buddy of mine, the, the very first Marines to go were on a plane that afternoon, the afternoon of, of, of September 11th. Wow. So, yeah, that happened really quickly. Wow. So the fact that. that that war was happening the whole time we were on active duty and we weren't getting a call to go... We were thinking, nah, it's not going to happen. And especially when we first get the word, yeah. you're getting activated, we thought, oh, we're going to war. And then we found out that our mission is to do this quick response force thing. Well, you can't go to war while you're in the quick response force, and we're the only unit that's responsible for it. So we thought for that whole year, we're like, we're safe, we're not deploying. Yeah. So that mission ends, and suddenly they're saying, yeah, you're deploying. We're you're going to you're, we're gonna go invade another country. And we're like, invade Iraq? That's just, that doesn't make any sense at all. But so the the, the strange thing about it was how ill prepared the military was for the war. Like yeah. we were still using gear that was kind of proven in kind of Vietnam and and through the eighties in this kind of peace period. And we have like new gear that looks all better and whatnot, but it's fallen apart and it's not tested. And they, oh they give God. us that when we when you put a, a tactical sling on your rifle, they give you a hard time for it. You're supposed to use a parade sling. It's a very tight sling. Yeah. that's really only good when you're marching around on base. Um, and, and so we're going out and we're spray painting our own stuff desert because they're issuing us stuff that's green and we're buying our own flak jackets and stuff like that. So That's really yeah, irresponsible. Was, they're s- right. giving you gears. Especially, th- Especially reserves. Especially wow. reserves where, like, we didn't even have trucks. Like, we, we're, we're watching the recon guys on, on, on our part of the camp paint their trucks uh, tan, and ours are still brown, or green, rather. And we're thinking, we're, we're invading a desert country. No matter yeah. what they're going to tell us, we're invading a desert country. So why are we still using green trucks and why are we getting issued green chemicals. So this
0: is you guys as marines, you have the right, common and sense and intelligence. Of,
3: yeah. Can we paint these? We've got time. We're like why don't we paint these? Yeah. And and what they come back with is no, absolutely not. And I think it was just based on the assumption of well the Marine Corps in its in its in its uh, you know wisdom will think of that. Before we go over the line, they yeah. will paint the trucks. Of course they will cuz how could they not? But the truth is of course no one was thinking of that because there was we're invading a country. We haven't done it in, you know, very few of the people in char- in charge had done so in in their lifetimes. So they didn't think of those things. So we all got issued green chemical suits because it's... Well, 11 years prior,
2: Schwarzkopf... Well, 11
3: years prior, but that was kind of... That was a massive bombing campaign and very little troop engagement, you know? So it was still... You know, we'd had... And and the only time that we'd had troop engagement was really Black Hawk Down. The most recent was Black Hawk Down, and that didn't go very well. So, you know... It's horrific. And and the scary thing for me was we're cleaning out our battalion headquarters uh, about a, a couple of weeks before we deploy. And... I find a a wadded up piece of, or like a a white paper report, this five-page report by a gunny in my unit that I recognize his name, and it's titled, What's Wrong with the Staff NCO Corps in our Marine Corps? Mm. And it's this whole thing about just, you know, lack of responsibility and no one takes care of their guys and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm reading this a week before I go to war. This isn't instilling much confidence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but no, we get there and we spent a month in Kuwait just sitting on just sitting on our butts, up tents and it, stuff like that. What's
2: back of your head? You're probably thinking, "Well, these guys know what they're doing." You got to assume they, they, they do, right? They, they you want do, to, assume. you yeah. want to assume exactly. <laughs> yeah. But the,
3: but but the truth was, from like a lot of different experiences, we got the feeling that they were looking out for themselves. And, yeah. and I had a lot of conversations with other junior Marines that if if we get orders that don't make sense to us. Yeah. They have not given me any reason to trust them implicitly. Yes. That's the purpose of the chain of command. You're supposed to get, you're supposed to just be instilled in you. But also because it takes some learning in order to to grow in the rank structure. Right. Usually, someone that is of higher rank than you is usually giving you decent orders, and so you shouldn't really question them. You should trust them implicitly. But when when your your lower unit leadership, your mid level leadership, is kind of demonstrated to you just a bunch of selfishism and not thinking of the junior marines and and not thinking of the greater mission, or at least you you perceive it that way, it's hard to just implicitly trust them. So we had conversations about if they say something that is some suicide mission that's only going to keep them safe and not me, I don't know how I can trust them and, and just go ahead and do so. Mm-hmm. And so so that wasn't a very good situation to go into the whole thing
2: in. But guys like you, I think military get annoyed
3: thinking. For guys. sure. Of
0: course, they, oh rather have a they, hated, they want sheep. They, they don't hated
3: want- me. My first day in my in my new unit because I joined because a, 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 the guy that I was working for as a civilian um, uh, was a forward observer. And I come to find out that my grandpa was a forward observer in, in World War II, and he was actually the first American on the German side of, of, of the river. As what was, the, it, what was his name? Collapsing in uh, uh, Major Reed, or Captain at the time, probably. Yeah. Major David Reed. Um, so the, he and his spotter. Uh, discovered the bridge at Remagen and, and mm-hmm. were the first ones to land on the German side and brought yeah. 30,000 people across, and he got all kinds of medals and stuff like that. And to find out while I was in the Marine Corps after I'd chosen the job that I wanted to do that he was a forward observer, an air forward observer in that case, where they fly around with an un, unarmed plane and observe for the, for the artillery, well, that was the job I chose to do when I went in because it engaged the brain. It was really cool. The whole concept is all indirect fire needs yeah. someone up on a hill you look at the little, the, the green army men, the little toys. Yeah. There's a guy with parabines.
2: Yeah. stand on,
3: that's a forward observer. And I just thought, this is an awesome job. And my civilian boss at the time was a forward observer and told me all about it and taught me about the math of it. And I was like, this is awesome. I can do this. So I graduate boot camp and join my unit and, and I meet my, 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 uh, my platoon sergeant. And he's like, so tell me your story. What are you, what are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a new, for- I'm going to be a forward observer. And I come to find out this takes years to become like, oh. you need to really you know, do the the, the dirty work first mm-hmm. and then work your way up the system. And there's only three guys in the platoon that can do it and they get to wear a special hat because they're they're the, the forward observer guys and everything. And I say on my first day, yeah, I'm gonna be a forward observer and that did not go well for me. So f- right from the beginning I'm the guy that asks too many questions and, and speaks up too much and, and is the know it all. So that doesn't serve you well at all. So what no. what
2: what what work well you become infantry then? Yeah, yeah. well I
3: well it's all infantry, that's the thing. Oh okay. because because I was just gonna be a reserve you know, a lot of people ask me, well, you know, you did really well on the ASVAB, the, the military aptitude test, and you could have done a number of different things, Intel or computers or whatever, yeah. com or whatever. And I said, well, I was just going to be doing this one weekend a month, two weeks a year. I want to blow stuff up. If I'm only going to do it on the weekends, I want to blow stuff up. That's a lot more fun. Mortars <laughs> have the biggest problems. Um, and so obviously that's, that's not quite the same thing when it's, when it's active duty and you, you're then, you know, an infantryman. Um, so when you join, when I, when, I, when I went in, I went in as a, as a mortarman. And within the role of mortarman, yes. you can have a number of different jobs. You can be a basic mortarman, the guy that drops the, drops the rounds in the tube. You can be fire direction control, which is the, the nerds that, that listen to the forward observer and translate what he's calling into the, the dope right. that they put on the guns. And you can be a forward observer. None of them are billets kind of thing. None of them are, are, do you get to choose them while you're in boot camp or do they, does that get chosen for you? You're just a basic mortarman, and then once you're in the platoon, you get selected for different jobs. So I went in just thinking, yeah, I'm going to be a four-observer because I'm really good at it. And that did not go very well. So by the time we went to Iraq, shortly before that, I was, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to four-observer school. It's going to be great. Instead, they sent me to FDC school to punish me. What, what is so, that? For, fire Direction Control, the nerds okay. that sit in the truck and, and, and listen in. So that was what I went as. Um, but every single Marine, no matter what your job is, you're still basic, basic infantryman, you're still carrying a rifle on your back. Yeah. So so yeah, so we get, to, we get to Kuwait, and we just sit there for a month, and everyone starts thinking for a while this is gonna be the same thing as 91, as where the Marines just sat in the desert to be a force to scare Saddam. What, what was that country like for you when you got there? It was desert. We didn't meet anyone, we didn't see anyone. We flew in in the night, and we drove up to an area that was just empty desert, and we yes. started setting up tents. And so within a day, there was a tent city, we never left the area. We, we you know, worked. It, I mean, it was just a, a tent city in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Right. None of us had GPS at the time. Cause it was 2003, so no one has smartphones with GPS. So we didn't know where we were. We just knew we were close to the border. Right. And that somewhere up there was a rock. And we just, we sat around for about a month or so and dealt with a bunch of, uh, you know, windstorms and, and late night watch and stuff like that and oh. wondering if we're going to go over
0: the border or not. Well, and what, so what were, what were your orders that you were told so, to do there?
3: basically just maintain readiness we kept on getting speeches but like a colonel would come by and, and get everyone together and give them a speech that uh you know if we go if we go across the border um be forgiving of your fellow brethren if they piss themselves or shit themselves because these things are natural and so you can tell that what's happening is that they're getting these staff briefings where they're like so uh psychologists are telling us that this is a natural response and we want to make sure that it doesn't hurt the morale of the troops so you better mm-hmm. go give your your marines some speeches about this, or they'd have like a general come by and and fly jets over and get everyone all excited and stuff like that. But it was just a bunch <laughs> of wondering. Is that know? for real? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like football be, games, they just have products. absolutely like yeah. a football game. When General Mattis came to go get everyone all fired up, got as much of the regiment together and uh, and and had like you know a tank on display and this thing over yeah. here, and he gets up and gives this great, powerful, motivating speech, and right at just the right time, he like pounds on the ga- on on his on his podium. And a freaking F sixteen flies over, mm. or an F eighteen. I guess the F 16s were out. It's of
2: time. beautiful propaganda. Right?
3: It's just like, yeah, I awesome. <laughs> yeah. them. Bill, get some. So you know they keep you. You might as well say touchdown, <laughs> Chargers. You know what I mean? They got to keep you. got to keep you excited for yeah. your team. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so but what's weird about it is they're telling they're telling people back at home that this is all about weapons of mass destruction, and and they're they're trying as much as they can to convince people that it's about a connection to 9-11. and they tell us some of that stuff, but yeah. mostly it's just about. It's just about you know these guys are bad guys and and they're they're um they're going to use human shields and they're just despicable despicable people but nothing about their motivations or you know right. none of that we never explored that or questioned that or anything and the very last thing you do that actually what was really twisted was that it was a priest that, that told it to us it was a uh, a chaplain he's the last person to talk to us the night before we went over the border before we packed all up and gone over the border and they say. So forget all that stuff that, that, that everyone's been saying to you. And remember this. The only thing that's important to you is the guy to your right and the guy to your left. So Absolutely. keep them safe, right? Mm. And that's true. That's obviously true. Mm-hmm. But if you, if, you, if you look at that, what they're basically just saying is, so the political motivations are just for the folks back at home to just keep them on right. board. Now that this is a real situation, we're just going to go ahead and throw you in here, and we know that people are going to fight back. Yeah. So this Hope is for the best. a survival. This is just a survival yeah. situation. yeah. You know, and for them, it's a survival situation. For you, it's a survival situation. And because you know and love your brothers so much more than these other people who you... They give none of us any any um, uh, language training. No one knew how to speak Farsi or Arabic. They give us no um, uh, sensitivity training as to what's going to insult yeah. people, what, what they're going to like and whatnot. So it was just... It was just the only one people that we can empathize with was our own forces, you know. And, and if we see someone hurting us, we protect them, no matter what the motivations of other person. So... At so that you point, guys, there doesn't need to be a motivation yeah. anymore. You're just there, and to stay alive, you got to shoot at other people. So, so war you,
2: happens. So eventually, you guys were given an order to cross the border to Iraq.
3: Right. So we get. So what was that like? So we this. It was really surreal the night before because the day before they give us. Well, they not have not all of us get the opportunity, but but quite a few get the opportunity to go to another camp and get hot showers. Yeah. They get steak. Uh, well we all what determines steak that? Dinner, right.
0: Who like gets well, the, higher the showers rating. thing was yeah.
3: was was just there were no showers on our camp and 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 there's no general who's thinking let's make sure all the marines get showers, so it comes down to the lower unit levels and it's same inconvenient yeah. to have your super younger marines always have to so not many people got showers at all. The last day there was like, all right, someone's got a feeling this is about to kick off, so let's give as many guys as we can the chance. Everyone got steak uh. And, and you could just kind of tell that, that something's, something's in the air, you know, something's going on. You know what I is a, a last-minute speech yeah. from a colonel about, you know, stay safe and stay brave? As, as a civilian, when you get steak, it just makes me wonder, like, you know how they give you last meal mm-hmm. when, when you're in mm-hmm.
2: uh, uh, death yep. row? A, in a way, <laughs> take a shower and the steak. And, and
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we all knew that. We could feel that. We so, could feel that.
0: Yeah. I mean, does that change your own motivation as to how you're preparing yourself for war
3: well war. that was just that just threw us that just threw us we were we were just like this is weird what was what was kind of weird about it though was that first night we first th- we wake up in the morning and there's a there's a ton of new ammo we're like what, what's all this we'd been training to jump out of seven tons rather than ride uh our, our humvees and suddenly our humvees show up that morning so obviously everything's changed we've got our provisions we jump in the trucks and we go to the border and we're like okay we're going to war and we get there and we just sit there for two days so it was a really weird experience of just like okay we're no longer near our camp we're no, there's no going back anymore we don't know yet where we are in relation to the border still but we're 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 with no one there's only us and our and our platoon at this point and it was weird that night um a a philosophy slash uh, religion discussion just kind of sprung up in the middle of nowhere and uh and and various guys are asking you know whoever's religious in the platoon hey what's that one that 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 psalm where you know walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and suddenly everyone's talking about religion, theology, and all this sort of stuff, guys that you have never once even you know thought for a second that they're religious, and suddenly everyone's asking themselves you know what do i believe and and stuff like that, so that was a pretty strange experience, but it was it was probably and then again uh, the president gets on the on the air and, and says okay i'm we we're, we're done he exhausted his forty eight hours i'm committing my troops. And so uh, the uh, shock and awe begins, and, and we actually cross over the border. And at that point, we were uh, it was it was quite obvious. There's very few countries where the border looks the way it does here. And it was a UN border. It was multiple different stages. Of it. you had to blow the blow the breach and then drive through the center. So we were quite certain. And, and someone said over the radio. Uh, once more into the breach, you know this this old. Um, oh man! Mm. But and and I'm laughing, going, "You've never been into the breach. None of us have been into the breach. Don't yeah. don't don't go try to quote in a, a a war quote that you you don't know how to comprehend yet." But um, so so there there's actually the uh, the miniseries um, uh, Generation Kill. I ever talked might. about that really? Wha- yeah. yeah. Uh, the the miniseries did a good job of of kind of showing the 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 back and forth between a, dif- a few different uh, perspectives. Yes. In those early days, when you're just driving through these Bedouin villages and people that have the last time they saw American forces was 12 years ago, and they don't know of geopolitics otherwise, and they just are goat farmers and whatnot. And we're not shooting at anyone yet. We're just moving through the south, not just trying to just trying they to they get north to as you fast that? as so possible. They just avoided no, either. they. D- I mean, this is this is about uh 90,000 troops invading over through three different corridors. So yes. so imagine twenty-five, thirty thousand 30,000 troops all in one big long convoy just just cruising on oh up. Yeah. This was a very intimidating thing for anyone. Wow. And and because, you know, none of us none of us spoke the local language or anything like that. There was there was really not much of an ability to to have any communication.
0: Was there anyone who could? With you guys, was there a translator or any nothing?
3: Battalion level, yes. There was there was i think one tra- one translator and eventually after a couple of days um a local kind of like volunteered hey i'd i'll be your 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 terp and th- that wasn't it doesn't seem like that was really thought of very well uh in in down to the individual unit level how exactly you're going to deal with 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 people you can't speak to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but it started evolving as 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 the needs allowed it
1: mm. yeah
3: so so the first couple of days, you're just going through these Bedouin villages, and, and people had, had two different perspectives. One, hey, let's just start shooting people. These are Iraqis, right? And two, no, the whole purpose of being here is not to kill Iraqis, not to uh, destroy Iraq, and not to, not to even occupy it, but to depose an evil dictator. I mean, there was the whole hunt for weapons of mass destruction, but there wasn't much we could do about that. Eventually, someone would come around and find them, but... We were just there to get to Baghdad as quickly as possible and defeat his military. And so there was very much um, a push. And and the general that was in charge of First Marine Division, his the thing that he kept on saying every speech was no better friend, no worse enemy. That if you um, choose to to fight us, we will make you rue the day. You know yes. and this will not go well for you. But if you give up and 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 turn yourselves into us, we will treat you very very well. And that. And that both of those were very important and that we all needed to understand that both of those were very important. That if someone is going to be your enemy, you need to make them regret it. Right. And if they're going to be your friend, you need to make them very thankful that they were. Because if they regret being your friend, they're not going to be your friend anymore and they're right. going to tell others not to. So it was very important. And I, and I, and I, and I, I gathered that. And, it, and I, when I thought about it, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Um, and it just felt like there's, there's a few people that don't really care about that. They're yeah. like, this is my opportunity to go get some. But that really is very, very few. I think, especially because you start to recognize humanity in people, and that they have no ill will. The majority of the people there have no ill ill will toward you, and you have no ill will toward them. That there can be some benefit from just the notion of of just becoming friends with them. And a couple of guys, you know, while we're parked, we'd, we'd stop just randomly. You have no yeah. idea why the the whole convoy has stopped, but we stop, and their truck happens to be in front of someone's yard. So that that someone walks out with a chicken and, and says hi, and can I, you know. And I interest you guys in some chicken and some and some bread, and so there was a few little, um, you know, no one can speak each other's language, but you can relate on a human level kind of thing that yeah. happened a few times. But um, primarily, before the shooting started for us, you know, it was it was a different war. For the first week or so, it was just we keep on hearing stories of of every every single Iraqi division is falling, and, and it's all going well. We're just cruising on through and then what, what's today's day like the 27th about, about now 10 years ago today because remember the invasion started a week ago um and 10 years 10 years so about now we get the word that jessica lynch was captured we don't hear that anyone else is captured but just this pretty blonde american gets captured and that's right. that's news and some marines get got waxed and and uh, for the first time we have to consider the the question of do we have absolute might here like we're gonna yeah. this isn't this isn't as as simple as it seemed, and also, oh, wait, Marines got killed. We need to go go kick some butt here. Like yeah. it's it's time for vengeance. We didn't know anything about them, didn't know their stories at all, but you know, it it, it changes your attitude to okay, this is real now. Because before that point. We had heard of no casualties whatsoever.
2: Uh, I mean whenever you hear a police officer getting murdered by mm-hmm. uh, a criminal in mm-hmm. you know, a whole city I mean whole city go lockdown trying to get that person. Yeah, um, like Chris
0: Dorner that just mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm.
2: I can't imagine <laughs> as a Marine you hear another Marine getting killed, that much
3: just Yeah, it throws you. Hoover. Oh that was more of a betrayal, and especially. I guess. Chris Dorner. So we didn't know the whole story of what was going mm-hmm. on. I'm still trying to remember the the, the sequence of events the first couple days. But at some point, one of the one of the first kind of real big eye openers for me is we go driving through a city I wish I could remember whether it was Fallujah or not but I, I kind of doubt it because um, it was before the the major battle that was Fallujah the battle of Fallujah and that was in 2004 um, or that, the, the, the two that was different mostly battles with the Blackwater guys too wasn't it well not mostly that, that it, it involved the Blackwater guys in that the Blackwater guys got, got captured and, and, and killed and then there was a heavy response and result uh, but maybe it wasn't that I, 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 I have a hard time mm-hmm. remembering exactly what city was what but our purpose was just to drive through it as quickly as possible. That we were kept we kept on being told that that our per, our entire mission was just to cut the head off, get to Baghdad as fast as possible, we can skip as many cities as possible. I see. But the realization pretty quickly after we got hit as we went through a couple of cities was that we need to establish some some amount of security. So as a regiment would go through, which would be five full battalions, one of those battalions would go first and sorry, line sorry. the sides of the roads. Um, Regiment consists of how many battalions? Five, it's not an exact thing. But in this case, it was five battalions, and each battalion battalion is about is about five. 100 to 1,000 Marines. Okay. So these are just an infantry, a plain infantry battalion is 500 mm-hmm. to a 1,000 Marines. This
0: going to so. sound really naive. Um, did you guys end up painting your trucks?
3: No, we never did. We never did. We went in in green trucks and we actually, we didn't get issue. armor. No, well, it was a important issue. Well, I mean, it, it was funny because we're all like, we're, we're invading a desert country in green trucks. Where Where's the wisdom to this? We're also all wearing green chemical suits. It's it's words. Words. In this. At the same time, 90 troops in company, a country aren't going to be uh, very, very camouflage. Camouflage, <laughs> no matter what you I do, agree. right? So, while while there was definitely some tactical silliness to it, um, it overall probably didn't really make much of a difference. Maybe for Jessica Lynch's vehicle, you know, where they're a single vehicle yeah. trapped in the middle nowhere might have helped, but then again, they're in the army; they probably had the money and they did have brown vehicles anyway. So who knows? But um, when did you start seeing bombing in the sky? Right. So that was actually um, so that day. Then we get lined up just south of a city called. Uh, Al I think it was Al Again, I'm. I actually just looked at some of my um, my journal, and and some of them are bouncing around. But so we sit there and and watch a bombing campaign get started. Just tons of vehicles on the side of the road, and we're we're not sure are we going to go in, or we're we not going to go in. What's what's happening here? Um, and we just sit and sit and sit and sit and sit for hours. And there's there's a phenomenon within the Marine Corps called light discipline, where um, at night after dark you can no longer use. Um, plain uncovered flashlights with just a white lens and you can't smoke cigarettes because the enemy, whether just with eyes or with night vision goggles, can pick that up and pick out your location really quickly. And we're all driving, this is a huge convoy, but we're actually driving without any lights. Uh All the drivers are wearing NVGs and they use what's called blackout lights, which are tiny little lights so they stay really close to the vehicle in front of them, but you can't see anything from a distance. So this is a loud but very much invisible force. The army. What is that? A miles scary over. thing to do? Oh, yes. very much so. Um, the army three miles over, and and quite a few accidents happen because you get no well, depth sure. when you have when you have a, a monocular night vision goggles. You get and no you don't perception. have a road,
2: road, do you? Is, is that no, also? you're on a road. We're on a you road. Are. We were on
3: the we were on the one actually. Um, and and trying to come to find out that the BBC was calling it the highway of death. They're telling everyone oh. at home that we're on the highway of death. Oh, That's a gosh. terrible thing to tell. Are families. There are a lot
0: of civilian deaths from that, or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. Um, actually, one of the while we were while we were cruising. Remember at some point, um, we just see some bodies in the middle of the road and whatnot. And one of the corporals is like, "Whoa!" He's trying to take a nap, and he's like, "Whoa, wake me up if you see more bodies." That was really cool, and we see more. Oh and, my! Uh, and he's just shocked at the size of the dude's the dude's member because dead people inflate, and he's like, "Whoa!" Because he's for whatever reason naked and dead in the middle of the road. Um, oh and uh, and so I'm keeping an eye out to let him know my to wake my cool my cool corporal up if yeah uh, I uh, see more dead people, and. And there's a, there's a bus on the left side of the road that's burning, and the back of it is, is sprung open, and there's um, uh, uh, suitcases and stuff all all sprawled out, and there's dead bodies that, you know, civilian bodies, and you could tell that it was, we were told a couple hours before everyone on this road is hostile, that all the civilians have been warned, get out of the way, so if you see anyone, they're hostile, or they're Iraqi Republican Guard or whatever else. And that obviously wasn't the case with all of them. So the, the 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 tow gunners at the front of the convoy take out those buses or whatever vehicles they happen to see, mm. and because they see them a mile away and right. they think this is, they're told this must be um, uh, artillery or or, or uh, armored division coming at them or whatever else, and take it out. And then they find out, you know, this is a bus full of civilians. So oh you start God. seeing and stuff after like they kill that, them, they and find that's out. really, huh?
0: After they kill them, they find out they're civilians. Exactly, so. exactly,
3: because you can't tell yeah. until then. But so so anyway, so this so at this point. Um, we're we're outside of the city, we're watching this massive bombing campaign, and our platoon sergeant comes around and offers everyone in the truck a cigarette. And it's after dark, so we're like, that's well, that's weird. weird. This is the <laughs> guy that would be yelling at us if we yeah. lit a cigarette, and now he's giving us cigarettes, and he's kind of uh, just a, an angry dude in the first place. You know, he never really related to the Lance Corporals. It wasn't his job. He's supposed to maintain this, this, this air of separation and whatnot. And so we all kind of all like, wait, is he, like, making peace with himself right now? Is that what's happening? So... So we just stay all night long, never quite sure. where All of our vehicles are running because we think maybe we're going to go at any moment. But So finally we go at the crack of dawn, right? As the yeah. sun is coming up, as ridiculous as that is. And we start driving. And our job isn't to do any fighting in the city whatsoever. A, a previous battalion had gotten in and lined the sides of the roads. So they put tanks at all the major intersections. I see. And, and our job, while they're providing security, is just to move o- the other four battalions through as quickly as possible. Um, and so we set off. And just as we get real close to the city... They start yelling gas, 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 and we all put on our gas masks. Oh sorry. So We all put on our gas masks. Yeah, and it's it's really cold, and it's just ragged it on. So I put my beanie over my gas mask, and then we make it, we make it, you know, one intersection in or so, and then they say it's all clear, no gas, and so we rip off our gas masks, and and my beanie goes flying out of the truck, and I'm like, oh man, and I remember having the thought, I'm gonna be cold for the rest of the war. Yeah, mm. just my head, and th- that's just this comedic thought because. a a few seconds later the bullets start flying and you're driving as fast as you can and and sometimes not very fast because you know the convoy slows down to a stop and there's just gunfire going all around you You can't identify how far they're coming to toward you is it it your troops that are on the sides of the road shooting sometimes it's the guys in your trucks that are shooting and stuff and so it's just massive chaos and literally at that moment you 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 were asking me offline if i ever had the thought that i was going to die and absolutely that was when like and that, it was, that I had it while concurrently being upset with myself for not thinking ahead and losing my beanie was really funny. You know, like, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to get in trouble for losing my beanie and I'm going to be cold, but I also might just die. <laughs> There's so many bullets flying. Yeah. We're, we're in an open Humvee with no armor, and we just sit on the sides of the rails and are kept alive by pretty much nothing. We're wearing really crappy flak jackets and, and sappy plates. Did you ever and if we them? get hit, we're done. Did you ever find out which direction they're? Shouldn't? You can or, never or, really be sure. Or know, we why? Would, we were just moving. Si- probably because their city was invaded and yeah. they were scared, or because you know who knows. Because when we went into Iraq, there was no Al Qaeda in Iraq. Right. Shortly thereafter, we start we start finding passports of Syrians who wrote down that their reason for entry, because there was no border checkpoints at this point. The government right. was gone, so people are just flooding into the country, mm-hmm. and they wrote on their reason for entry jihad, like. We very much drew a lot of the fighters into Iraq. We went in to For take sure. out a to Which makes a sense. And it, wasn't, it really wasn't very difficult. It was the most efficient military invasion in human history. It took three weeks to move basically the distance from San Diego to Vegas, which is pretty slow if you think about the drive from San Diego to Vegas, but that's what it was, and topple a, a country. And we did it in 22 days, which is the most effective military campaign in history. But because it was... Treated purely as a military invasion of a hostile force, yes. when the reality was that it wasn't a hostile force. There was, there were hostile elements, and there was a hostile uh, leader of the government. But this level of invasion is much more appropriate for kind of shutting down the whole place. And because we didn't whatsoever, and because the drive was so strong to find weapons of mass destruction, I didn't learn this while I was there. This is from reading afterwards. Yeah, the volumes of information about the the kind of Early inklings of the um, of the counter of the insurgency rather uh, were being ignored because they were just looking for evidence of weapons of mass destruction. So they'd find a warehouse full of paper and everything that had something to do with that. The generals were getting together and starting a uh, an insurgency was just ignored because we thought this is okay. We did well. The people rose up with us before and then were let down, and this time we haven't let them down. We came across the border. We showed them that we're going to take out Saddam, and for the most part, their predictions their predictions were that we were going to be thanked and as liberators and initially in those first couple of weeks we absolutely were we absolutely mm-hmm. were because there was no reason to believe otherwise mm-hmm. but we never really figured out how to take care of it and, and then the bombing it, it just started just going absolutely to hell so
2: how many days since that first day till you entered Baghdad how many days was that about
3: uh, the war started on the 19th or 20th or 21st depending on who you ask and we were in Baghdad on April 8th mm. So wow. it didn't. It I think I think April seventh was the day that the statue fell. And a, a good friend of ours, actually a buddy of mine that I I, I know from f- all the way back from third grade, um, his picture is on the Time magazine cover where where the statue of Saddam yeah. is falling. His 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 little mug is right there in the corner, wow. not smiling about it. Um, so you saw all the. Uh, I didn't see that. That all was all that that but that you saw was some of the, ransacking one part of the, of the city. Oh, we saw the ransacking. Absolutely, we saw we saw the chaos start and. And knew it was going to be a problem, you know. They fired the entire military, they fired the entire army, and left no one in charge. And suddenly, every kid is stealing the TV. Every kid is, you know, like it, it was chaos. Can
2: can you explain that to me? That never made sense to me because essentially, you have these group of men who are expert in mil- Iraqi mm-hmm. military, mm-hmm. and they need job to take care of their family when you fire them and they don't have any money, they're desperate, they're going to take their expertise elsewhere, mm-hmm. i.e. terrorist organization and do not. I don't understand, that makes no sense to me. You, you would think, you take care of this guy, you have a stability in the city, mm-hmm. and hopefully mm-hmm. for the whole country.
3: Well, I mean, for both reasons, because, one, you gotta think about the individuals, that these, these are, like you said, trained military and police, yeah. who have their own weapons, and you just fired, what else are they gonna go do? And secondarily, Without Saddam, what's going to maintain order? Is it our job to maintain order in a, in a country that we can't speak to anyone? Well, we tried. That didn't work very well. you know, And it started falling apart really quickly. Yeah. So I can't I, – I, I could not justify it to you. I, I I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense to me. A lot of people say it was the biggest mistake that Brenner ever made. I don't know why he did it. Maybe he wanted more chaos. Who knows? You know. Even right after World War II,
2: there, there were many war criminals in Japan, but mm-hmm. they realized – there is why these scumbags rule, rule because they're really good at what they do, which mm-hmm. is run things. Mm-hmm. And it's, and sometimes, sometimes you have to make deal with unsavory people because they just happen to know, pretty good at
3: maintaining stability. Right. Well, it's important. Mm-hmm. I mean, Japan would have would have um, would have ended the war, you know, a lot a lot sooner had we let them know that it was okay that they allow their power, specifically their emperor, that you have to allow the power structure to continue. Otherwise, like. If you don't have someone to declare that the war is over, to tell their people that the war is over and that they should listen, then the people won't stop fighting. And And that's what we had in Iraq and and Afghanistan. When you take out whatever leadership is there to tell people to stand down, they're just going to – they're not going to do so.
2: And General McArthur, I I have to give him credit, even though he was very, very wrong for the Korean War, uh, in my opinion, he was definitely smart to keep emperor because God Mm -hmm. knows you do something with that guy.
3: Oh god no. Yeah, I mean uh, Mussolini waited a the very they they, they hanged Mussolini hand. in front of his people if that happened yeah. in Japan the war would have never ended. This is this would be hanging Jesus and the Pope and the general and the president all in the same person. Yes. Mm. So it was a wise choice. It was absolutely a wise choice and if we if we you know let the Japanese people know cuz we'd said up until that point it was an unconditional surrender. We right. will only accept an unconditional surrender, which means we won't al- allow you to keep your emperor as as your as your de facto leader. And if we'd let them know years before the war would have ended sooner. You know, it's really unfortunate. So that the opposite decision was made right away in iraq i don't understand at all i couldn't yeah, justify I don't it.
1: What,
0: so and why were you there for eight years
3: why well, was in the rank for eight years was that's that's just the length of a reserve contract if you're active duty you don't have to serve quite as long but you sign up for reserves you're supposed to do six years of drilling reserves where you mm-hmm. go once one weekend a, a month and then two years of inactive ready reserve where they can call you back mm. I see. but uh uh, everyone actually has an eight-year contract. Even if you're active duty, you do four years of active duty and then four years of inactive, ready reserve, where they can call you back if in the and case of war or anything like that. How, how long did you stay in Baghdad? Very short. Um, so April 8th was the fall. We were probably we 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 uh, we actually celebrated Easter that weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, it was crazy. It was like a, 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 mm-hmm. a sunrise uh, Easter ceremony while holding rifles. Wow. It was the strangest thing. We were actually in a um, Republican Guard headquarters building. Um and we were probably only there for another two or three weeks and then we moved south maybe a hundred kilometers or so and held a facility for maybe a month or so and then mm-hmm. we made it for the border. So it was a really short war. It was for me it was maybe four months total, you know, and then the ride back, you know, we, we drove up in, in Humvees with our guns out and we went back in tour buses. In in you well know, not tour buses, but wow. you know, like um uh, hired buses. Because
0: Saddam right? was dead by then. Because Saddam
3: Wait, we was dead and the war was over. Buses? Yeah, well, they weren't yellow Did buses. You have cameras. They were like the big, the big <laughs> hired. Yeah, I've got actually pictures of of these buses. It's hilarious. Where they'd stop, they'd, they'd pull over once every couple of hours, and 300 marines would get out and all pee on the side of the road. This is not a war any longer. And at the same time, also as we're getting to the border, you start seeing more and more piled up uh, 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 pipe pieces, uh, uh, oil pipes. Is, like, is, Thirty-foot-wide oil pipes on the side of the road, getting ready to get laid in. Isn't it interesting? Wow, Isn't that
2: interesting? quickly. Isn't it? Oh my god, mm-hmm.
0: that is very mm-hmm. efficient. Mm-hmm.
2: Isn't is, is, is it interesting that he, he they drove to Baghdad and they're flying, driving back out of the bus? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a country full of Arabic people, mm-hmm. it was a totally one, different situation. It was yeah. weird, and not one single Seven Eleven. I mean, that <laughs> <you, laughs> no convenience. You, you would think that's their embassy, but anyway. Wow, I could t- I I've spent so uh, you know like now a couple hours with you. I could tell you're an incredibly smart person. You you thoughtful. I could tell you read a lot. So this is a cradle of civilization. River mm-hmm. tigers, Euphrates Man- mm-hmm. meet. The tale of Gagamash. I mean, this is a yeah very important. And I think many of the Iraqis actually I met, unlike Afghanistan, they're really well educated people. Yeah. yeah. So there's got to be kind of weird thing for you. like. It's a really interesting place, but not the circumstance that you didn't want to come in this circumstance.
3: Yeah, it was, it was, it was, there was definitely an awareness of the fact that this is the Cradle of Civilization. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, you're told this is all desert, and then in a lot of areas, it's this beautiful, uh, you know, spring. It's just gorgeous around the Euphrates and stuff like that. Um, and I was very anti-religious at the time. Um, Yeah. I, I hadn't ever, you know, I wouldn't say I'm religious now at all. Um. But I was, you know, I was twenty one, twenty two, or something or oh other, and I, I'm sure okay. I blamed religion for, for most problems. So I, yeah. I wasn't about to to care about its its religious um, uh, importance, but I, I cared very much about its civilization importance. You know, for that sure, this is some of the oldest civilizations on the planet, and it was I felt deprived of the fact that I didn't get to know anyone and get to get to meet mm-hmm. anyone. Um, I thought they they that were very that wasn't very encouraged? beautiful people. No, not at all. Not in the least. Not in the least. Like would you, would you, the only thing that was ever encouraged was was making fun of and and laughing at Iraqis. Like they would they would come up and and try to uh, sell us um, kaffiyas mm-hmm. and and trade for porn or trade for um, American dollars or whatever. Wait, oh, no, Yoshi, you should have been there. Wait, like wait that. was that a joke <laughs> about porn or? No, no, no. Very, very much so. Like you could you could get you could get a, a a couple of blocks of ice and a case of coke for a for Fuck, a could have a a yeah. yeah, and there was there was a, there was one dude that brought an entire sea bag worth of it. And everyone, as we were going, we're like, dude, we, we, we have to pack light. Like, don't you think this is a little bit overboard? Do you really need a sea bag full of porn? And he, it was like he was a millionaire over there. It was great. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so, so they would come up quite often, and they really wanted, to, they, they were curious. What, what is this weird phenomenon of these, these strange Americans? Um, but it, it was kind of ridiculous the number of times that people would be like, yeah, you're a jackass. I hate you, and you're so stupid, as they're smiling and waving, so that the kid would smile and wave back. And it's like, obviously, they don't know that you're being rude to them, so yeah. hopefully it didn't necessarily hurt their sensibility, but it's 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 a very dehumanizing um, mm. kind of situation, you know, yeah. where they don't really care about this person as a, as a human being. It's just an interesting phenomenon of these kids that'll chase you and you can throw candy at them or you can throw an MRE at them.
2: It's It's not surprising to me that they didn't do the sensitive
3: training because... You know how many wars could have been prevented if the leaders well, of knew you don't, something about it. You have Earth.
0: empathy for your Absolutely. enemy; you're not going to kill them.
3: In in, in World War One, there was a uh, one of the Christmases there was a an unofficial truce called between um, France and Germany. Was it France and Germany or England and Germany? I don't remember. Um, and 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 guys started getting up and and going out and collecting their dead, and they would meet each other in the middle in the in no man's land and shake hands and trade cigarettes and trade stories and tell stories and laugh yeah. and and. And it's and if you read about it now, it's it's written about as it was a very very limited thing, and, and yeah. it was discouraged and shut down right away, because that's the absolute enemy of war. You know, you can't bond with your with, mm-hmm. with the people yeah. that you're supposed to fight with, because then you'll have reason not to not to want to fight with them. Yeah. You know.
0: And you were saying earlier that uh, you felt that the ag- aggression is um, something that's instilled, if
3: not mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of, it's, it, it kind of needs to be just because yeah. because very uh the, the the vast majority of the people that we would run into uh would be very very delightful nice individuals that had no animosity toward us et cetera. so kind of in order to maintain a, an aggressive attitude and and maintain a, a uh, an aware attitude and keep mm-hmm. yourself safe and and keep an eye on stuff y- the the aggression needs to be built into you by the the machine itself you know that yeah. that um when when you're you're uh reporting in you know, and when you're standing in a platoon formation, they're calling off everyone's names back in SOI. Uh, the the acceptable response is kill, or uh, in some cases, kill babies. It's all about being moto and and yeah. being the most brutal or or whatever else, and that's celebrated. And it's it's celebrated because it's part of the machismo of it and whatnot. But I don't think anyone's ever aware of the fact that it is reducing their humanity and reducing their ability to connect with other people, especially when those other people are the ones that you are. Summing up into this group of terrorists or this group of 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 hajis or whatever.
2: Mm-hmm. Were, you, were, you, were you were you kind of was thinking like that already back? No, then? not at all, not oh, at all. Oh, um, is that right?
3: The the attitude that you kind of have to have when you're when you're in it, um, and whether you have to or whether you just naturally do is is you have to believe in your mission. Otherwise, yeah. you're not going to get it done very well. And so. I believed that Iraq was, in, was, was a place that we needed to be because Saddam was an evil guy yes. and because he was hurting his own people and he gassed the Kurds and et cetera, yes. et cetera, et cetera. So I had all these justifications for myself and I believed very strongly that the, that the people would benefit from it and, and from us being there. Um, but when did you start we, doubting that? Not until, not until after. Well, okay, so on our way out of town, yeah. we, we, we decided to leave at like 4 in the morning, our, our, our battalion, um, and I'm thinking at the time it was to be polite to the people and not wake them up. And the reality is, I'm sure it was just that they're, you're less of a target if you have a thousand <laughs> vehicles leaving in the middle of the night. Yeah. But so some old man must have heard the beginning of the convoy, and he rouses his whole family and brings them all outside so that he can wave. And he's holding his little his little tiny granddaughter in his arms, and he's waving and and thanking everyone as they drive by. And, and as I passed, I heard him say, "Thank you for safe us." Oh. And I wrote it down, and I was like, "Wow, this this that that just made." That just made it all worth it for me. You know, right. this wasn't that bad. I didn't get hurt. I saw some pretty terrible things. I was a part of some some things that that, we'll, that I'll wrestle with. But you know, I'm okay. I'm safe. I'm coming home. Yeah. And the people appreciate us being there. You know. But, you know, as I started getting my stuff together, I wanted to to put up some of my little journals on Facebook and whatnot as the ten years are coming around, and I start noticing a lot of retrospectives are going around. Yes. And one of them that I read. Points out basically that that the Iraq War, starting in ninety one, going through the um, the uh, financial challenges that we imposed on them for thirteen years, and then the invasion, it it's one of the worst events in human history. Mm-hmm. You know, the number of uh, well over a million and a half Iraqis, considerably, a lot of dead. yeah, uh, a lot of people say two three million. Like th- there was really no army to speak of, and most of the army didn't die for sure. They just yeah. they lost their jobs when they got fired, so most of those deaths were civilians. And that, I mean, that's a higher percentage than the U.S. or West or any of the European nations sustained during World War II. Like, this is an absolute humanitarian yeah. disaster, and we all have this attitude. It's a, it,
0: in well, itself, it, sounds like a genocide. Yeah, exactly. It, is. it, it absolutely and, is. and it's still a affecting the Iraqis today.
3: A million, t- million people externally displaced. And so we all have this attitude of, well, it might have broken us financially, but the Iraqi people are, are have benefited from it. Yeah. Mm, and and th- no. a lot of Americans have that belief. And the truth is that there's nothing, it's nothing could be further from the truth. All like, their Iraqis infrastructure was blown up. We are absolutely destroyed. Or. We destroyed the country. We didn't put it back together. Yep. So, like, I left thinking I was very proud of my service and what my right. team did because we bonded with people and they showed the bond. They showed that there was... And I think that what I was doing, and what I think a lot of other people do, is they try to search for a justification, that justification comes in a connection to, to, to other people. A good, a good friend of mine uh, was in Afghanistan um, two years ago, and at the time, I was then out of the Marine Corps fully, and up until I got out of the Marine Corps, I didn't question much, you know, like, Afghanistan was shady, I don't really know, and... The Iraq War aftermath was just a mess. It was just the army screwing up, you know. Like I was saying yeah. earlier, the Marines and the Army always uh, get into it, mm. and the Army kind of took over the mission for the most part. So we blamed the Army, it was all their fault and a bunch of mistakes and stuff. But, but what what changed? It? I couldn't say. I mean, a lot of it was the fact that the insurgency started without anyone, you know, being aware. Oh, no, of no, no, it. no, I mean, what changed? Oh, my the, perspective. Yeah. got it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say was um, that once you're once you're out no longer have to think about going back and go, going and putting yourself in, in harm's way in that way, you can start hearing the same things that you've heard in the past, totally different now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you start reevaluating them where you might have dismissed information and you're like, wait, really? Because for one thing, just going to war itself changes your perspective. It, it gives you perspective on what a government is willing to lie about, what a, what a government is willing to commit mm-hmm. troops for, what a government is willing to sacrifice its own troops for. And... And you just start asking questions about that information from a new perspective of someone that no longer has to put themselves um, in harm's way because of orders from the government. And you start questioning those things more and more. And it really does change your perspective. So by the time he was getting ready to go, I was very much against it. I was, because, you know, we'd also. I became against the, the Iraq war long before I was against the Afghanistan war. I didn't ask mm-hmm. that in question. I thought, this is the good war. This is the right. when the it, When did you war.
0: join Iraq Veterans Against the War?
3: Um, I heard a uh, uh, some testimony by a guy named Adam Kokesh um, speaking at, a, at a, uh, an organization called Iraq Veterans Against the War in something called um, uh, Winter Soldier,
1: mm-hmm.
3: which was um, kind of in honor of something similar to that, that they did um, uh, during Vietnam, um, where service members spoke about their experiences and how their experiences don't really match up with the story that we're being told, and 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 kind of give people some some perspective on the reality. I mm-hmm. heard um, Michael Preisner speaking, and they were just extremely inspiring in that they spoke to the to the parts that I was looking for when I joined, mm-hmm. and they spoke to the betrayal that they felt when they realized that. The reasons we were told that the war was happening were not true, and they knew it at the time. And they spoke to that there's a big disconnect between this notion of just walking around saying support our troops while blindly, you know, supporting wars that are hurting our troops and hurting others, that, that it's hard to kind of sit right with both those things at the same time. So just hearing them speak about it with so much eloquence really got me to start challenging things and and that that was big for me
1: did
0: you have any issues of post-traumatic stress or um or while serving and if i could get your thoughts on the mental health issue because that's a huge issue of how even like the va Mm -hmm. doesn't um provide uh or is kind of notorious now for not providing the proper care for our troops and kind of leaving them helpless and homeless even at times
3: right um well i didn't for a long time i thought you know um this war didn't hurt me, you know. I didn't get shot. I didn't have to see anyone get shot. I didn't pull a trigger on anyone, um, and so I thought I was fine. I was totally fine. Um, my mom and some people said that I was I was different, but possibly in better ways. In in some ways, I kind of had a bit of a um, a distrust for the world, but I, in other ways, I also was more yearning for life and stuff like that. And um, they say that that adrenaline is is the most a dicking drug, so mm-hmm. you get such a huge adrenaline like that, and you want to just be all active and exciting and excited and stuff like that. So in mm-hmm. some ways, I think I benefited in the immediate after, and in some ways, um, I just kind of maybe became a little colder or something like that. But it didn't come out of me until many years later. They, a lot of people, that PTSD is something that will go away with time, that if you have a light case of it, it'll go away, mm-hmm. or uh, if you don't have it after the war, you'll never will. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that, that this is true. Yeah, if it's perfectly worse. It will only get worse, because yeah. What's, and I've come to find out the fact what's actually happening is that your body as a, um, as a response to keep you alive um, in a situation that is overwhelming in which you, you are put, it, put in, a, in a choice of a fight, flight, or freeze, mm-hmm. and you're unable to actually act upon that impulse,
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, it gets trapped inside your psyche, it yes. gets trapped inside, inside your, your, your everything. And the, the next time you are put in a situation where just that feeling is triggered, not by, it doesn't have to be anywhere near the same kind of situation, but just a feeling of fear. You could a be super supermarket. Exactly. Yeah. That any, anything that triggers fear, there will be a level of feeling it won't have anything to do with what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't deal with it, it's only going to get worse and worse because your body is conditioning itself to protect you and, and holding more and more of it in. And so it ends in, um you know, a hypervigiliousness of the world it turns into, you know, this rare for no reason whatever I blow up, start screaming at people and... The very first time that happened and I wasn't aware of it, I clinged to someone when I went to work, and uh, found out we came home she'd been ging on though so I, I went Brian actually drove me up there to, to go collect my truck back and, and, and give her a piece of my mind. Mm. She didn't even know I was coming home yet. i made oh, sure to, no. to, to make sure she didn't know. So I just show up at her doorstep at at, at midnight, still wearing my, my war clothes kind wow. of thing. And um and and she didn't know that I knew or anything like that walked and I was like, Where is he? And uh and when I saw that my um, my clothes were packed up,
1: oh my god!
3: I screamed at her, and I remember I remember being really surprised. At the look on her face of well, all I had, my nice and big, and she's wearing, she, she's wearing this right now, and that's that surprised. Like I didn't know I had that power. It a, and, and it's a very specific memory, um, and and it has happened a couple of times since then. And it's something that always after the act. I'm like, why on earth was it that bad for me? Mm-hmm. Why was I that loud and 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 and? and intense mm-hmm. um and it never has anything to do with the situation or the circumstances that, that got me into it and i always regretted it i always mm-hmm. felt bad afterwards i always especially felt terrible for i could see how much it hurt someone or scared someone yeah um and it can end up leading to secondary ptsd where that person by being yelled at ends up developing post-traumatic stress of course disorder. so if you don't deal with it Especially all these, is all that, these folks is that, that have this freeze no right? attitude. Oh yeah.
2: So it's it's kind of like secondhand smoke, you know. Oh something? yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, of yeah. course, because now violence. you've
0: just instilled fear for that person and her. Like in that case, mm-hmm. her survival was mm-hmm. in question. So, mm-hmm. now, so now she, she has will rel- the Same response. Yeah. So next time she hears someone get angry at her, or if someone yeah. raises their voice, same kind of trigger as a response in your sympathetic nervous system, and the whole parasympathetic nervous system is the fight, flight, freeze. I think there's a fourth I love now that you have too. A
3: psychologist. I, yeah. yeah.
0: That's activated (laughs) I had to deal with patients Who had these disorders From being raped Mm -hmm. From being uh, In physical abusive relationships Or even verbally abused
3: It it upsets me a lot When when we have this very um, uh, Kind of bullshit attitude About rape and violent crime In any way Where we joke about it And the reality is That anyone that has to Has had to experience Something like that Being assaulted in any way Is going to have Trouble and issues And trauma For the rest of their life Before Mm -hmm. they deal with it and we treat it like a joke combat rape everything this is part of our kind of messed up uh, uh, violent society
0: um, so we're just talking about treatment or PTSD and um, PTSD is something that isn't really recognized in our culture most people don't even know what that acronym stands for so just to repeat it people it means post-traumatic <laughs> stress disorder it's very real people from war especially um, have this and experience this and it, it, it happens in people from rape victims to emotional physical abuse that we talked about before um, so lots of things can instigate post-traumatic stress disorder um, and it's something that also is, is notorious for not receiving the proper treatment and Devin you're just saying that Diane Feinstein just right, recently yeah. said it's a new phenomenon this is not not a new phenomenon very yeah, insulting to hear that
2: people who live in the states She's a senator from California.
0: She's a senator from California, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, and, um, I mean, that's how dismissive our culture is and, and medically irresponsible mm-hmm. for our mental health uh, overall, for, for people in general, but also specifically, you would think for people who put their lives on the line for us, for them to, uh, sorry, I get really excited, and the microphone goes closer to my mouth, uh, <laughs> uh, to receive proper health care. Um, so, uh, did you receive treatment uh, through the VA or any kind of treatment? Well, first of
2: all, can you even talk about? Is there a culture that allows you to talk about that stuff in the military?
3: Um, d- no, within the military, certainly not. Um, there's there's generally a perspective, kind of I think in the whole country that it's like a it's like the flu. Like, like if a th- you're if yeah. you're exposed to it, you might catch it, but not everyone that's around it catches it. Some people have a strong enough immune system not to. I and see. And if you're, if you're weak if your immune system is weak enough that you catch it, you're probably a pussy or a wimp or whatever. Right. Um, as, especially within active duty, um, there's, there's very little discussion of it. And, th- and the honest truth is yeah. there, there isn't as much um, it, it isn't happening as much because while you're in the mindset of someone who is a, a, an active duty marine or soldier that may go invade a country or may go right. participate in the fights some more you're not really processing those things that might cause you trauma um, they'll still probably have an effect on you they can still grow over time but in my experience most people when they they, they start to really be traumatized by it mostly after they've, mm-hmm. they've separated completely if it was something um, like where they were physically hurt uh, in, a, in a roadside bomb or something like that o- often they start feeling the symptoms of it immediately but no within the military there's very much a culture that that that, that frowns on thinking about it talking about it thinking anyone has it but the truth is it's ex- it's 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 a uh, very high occurrence the notion that you just might catch yeah. it versus you might not is kind of silly that the reality is that war is an unnatural thing and it breaks people's psyches and and that's the result like if you're put in a situation where it's absolutely abnormal, and the human brain is not it should not ever be expected to deal with this because it's never been conditioned to. Right. It's not going to to do well for you. Um, it's strange that you know if somebody told you you have leukemia, then nobody will question your toughness. You right. have a disease. You have a disease.
2: But whether in military or in
3: sports, mm-hmm.
2: I mean, you're you're a prime example. You're you're the warrior culture. Like you're not even supposed to complain, mm-hmm. and you're. I don't know how many times I hear guys who got hurt in war mm-hmm. and, and the only thing they're thinking about they want to get back mm-hmm. just help your buddies to go back and you know these are again. these are just
3: incredible groups of mm-hmm. men and women mm-hmm. so well because you're 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 using every, a lot of people and especially uh some people think that it that it is the selective group of people but i think a lot more people have this but there is yeah. there is uh, a want to try to protect the people that you love absolutely and that if there is an organization that allows you to do so to go put yourself between danger and your family there are certain people that will be that will choose to do so um, and the challenging thing is when they take that and take a group of people that are very motivated to go do a good thing yeah. for for their family and they exploit and, it. and kind of <laughs> exploit kind of lie about the reasons why and whatnot it makes it really hard for you to sit for it to sit right with you that That the the truth is, war is hell. There's never been a war that isn't. There's always terrible things that happen in a war. So it's a lot easier, right? It's a lot easier for you to be comfortable with those terrible things if the overall was was a beneficial situation, a beneficial event. And when you start realizing that the reason that you went was a lie, and a lot of the truth about the or the reporting of what's going on isn't isn't very truthful. It, it, I think it leads more toward PTSD getting worse because there's no longer a moral justification for the things that you experienced.
2: Um, and, and, and it really infuriates me, and I don't know if it's true, but I don't know how many times I'll read something where President Bush didn't even read the studies of what's going mm-hmm. on and mm-hmm. making this decision without not considering all the possibilities. Yeah, that's, a, that's really it frustrating. Makes me, it makes me angry, not to mention I don't know how many times I hear stories where these young men and women sacrifice their lives. Not even giving proper equipment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. It's just like how could you make that rash decision to bay? Right. Right.
0: And then uh, the negligence of uh recognizing mental health as something that is yeah. something that needs treatment and right. is a real disease and unlike leukemia or cancer where they can physically say it's like a a physiological disease they're like oh then you're sick but mental health is just like it's so looked down upon it's condescended it's avoided What
3: really scares me is that so so i did i actually sought sought treatment i had some problems with my uh with Mm -hmm. my legs and and my shoulder and with ptsd and i I lost a lot of hearing and so i sought a disability rating for that and i started going through the va system and um and once i was once i was uh rated with ptsd they said okay so there's a number of things that we could do for treatment yeah um you can uh get you can do drugs you can do uh group therapy here you can do one on one talk therapy here and i said yeah i don't really i don't really dig on pharmaceuticals no thanks and and i don't really want to come to the va um to uh to talk to a to a psychiatrist i'd right. i'd be down talking to vets groups and stuff like that so that's that's helped me quite a bit but what what really scares me is that the, the the number one answer that everyone says is I'll take the drugs. And the drug that is most there the drugs that are most commonly um, uh, given for this are SSRIs that on the warning label say that they have they cause suicidal Suicide. thoughts.
1: hmm
3: How do you how do you give what? a group of people? Yeah, yeah how so do you so give a group of people who are dealing with antidepressants that cause Ani- suicidal thoughts? Yeah.
0: So that's the irony of antidepressants is that what I mean, was, you'll if you pay attention to the commercials, <laughs> yeah. they'll say yeah. it in the commercials because they have to. But the side effect and the risk of taking SSRIs, mm. any kind of antidepressant, is that well, it what's can that actually word again? SSRIs
3: selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors.
0: inhibitors. Okay. The, the is truth that
3: is that if you have a very very they strong were exacerbating work apparently. But yeah. With most cases of depression, where it's just it's chemical or it's or it's based on some real world event that happened that you needed to clear yourself of the trauma right. of. It doesn't help at all And it causes the brain To become uh, addicted to it And it causes Suicidal thoughts it
0: ca- And it takes o- A long time For SSRIs To actually start working uh, Between one to two months On average where it first starts to kick in Why And Why does it take so long Because it just takes it's changing takes your brain chemistry It's changing your brain we're ta- And we're
3: talking about these, are, these aren't like Weird you've never heard of drugs This is, this is These are the big antidepressants Prozac are, Yeah
0: I mean, and there's the whole gamut. Of
3: the whole, all the major antidepressants are the of And get this, though,
0: get this. While I was working, because I worked in rehab, so, mm-hmm. I mean, just so much information about all this stuff. But there isn't any empirical evidence that states that this actually treats depression.
3: That it's, it's any better than the sugar pill. It, there's n-
0: Exactly. That's a, a placebo sugar pill, it works just as well as... The depression as what ssri because this is based on a theory and a hunch that it's, it's a lack of serotonin with of course there is lack of serotonin and dopamine in depression but d- we don't even know if the ssris actually do give you the serotonin re-up-take, to yeah. to reuptake to then to heal yourself yeah. so this is all still experimental and they're shoving these things oh, yeah. down people's oh, yeah. throats oh,
3: yeah. and you very much become become hooked on it to where if you try to you know, if you've ever met anyone that was trying to cut themselves off from an antidepressant, oh it, it, it causes massive mood swings and, yep. and their brain chemistry is all out of whack and whatnot. They're very much addicted to it. I mean, it's the largest industry in America, most money-making industry in America. big surprise. So
0: they don't want to get rid of it. No.
2: Um, I think it's almost as difficult as getting rid of, like, heroin in it addiction? I mean, is it really... Is it no, problem? heroin's
0: much worse, but... Oh, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, relatively speaking, it does become something that... Uh, you know that once you prescribe this to someone and they are taking it, it's mm-hmm. a dependency that develops. They're on it for the rest of their They're life. on it for the rest of the bl- their lives and unless they take the initiative themselves to mentally tell themselves and yeah. to try to get better and that's why the sugar pill placebo effect works just as well because that's you telling your brain, I'm getting better by taking this. Nothing's really changing your brain chemistry, yeah. but it's you. Mm. I mean, this is a whole different kind of like I scientific stuff that we could mm-hmm. get into more if we wanted I to. Guess,
2: but I guess they don't use Chinese medicine. No.
0: They don't. Absolutely not. No. So acupuncture and stuff not, like that is actually way better. To. They're yeah. starting
3: to. The U.S. military is starting to see oh, that's good. the benefit in... But, but for really twisted... Ma- not Chinese medicine in this case, actually. Um, uh, uh, Chinese kind of um, meditation. They're going to use... Um, uh, what is it called whole mindedness mm-hmm. meditation, mindfulness mindfulness, mindfulness ba- I,
0: that's what like that was one of my specialties combat in it, actually infantry yep
3: to prepare one to go into combat yeah. they 're going to have people meditate and be able to kind of have a better awareness of themselves that's in all ways but it's but it's by kind of bastardizing it a little bit it is that 's well, weird
2: but by the That's way, weird. when I say Chinese men, I meant handjobs. Oh, of so, uh, Oh, I thought you meant water torture. They do, they do <laughs> use that. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> whatever ends with happy ending, it sounds like you're going to have a Whatever. Um.
0: So you didn't take any of
2: no, those? No, I didn't souris. take the drugs.
3: No, I didn't take the drugs at all. I, 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 but I would you I be better off being of
2: depressed with
3: naturally? Right, right. And I didn't know this at the time. I just, I don't know, for whatever reason, I've just never really trusted pharmaceuticals. So, and But glad if, I, I didn't if I
0: can say just a, a little, I'm sorry, just a ahead. little tangent. Um, as someone who, who suffered from depression, I did... I, there's one good thing I have to say about it, uh, about medication. And I didn't take SSRIs, but I took Butryn. Mm-hmm. S- what again? SSRIs, uh, norepinephrine, fix that uh, d- uh, receptor, uh, neurotransmitter in your brain.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it was, and I did it properly. I was so against it, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't take it for a year. But mm-hmm. I got to the point I was so suicidal that mm-hmm. my therapist made Said me. That you have to. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Are you getting institutionalized? Uh, and as a, uh, and it, uh, more of like a, this is going to give you a little head start mm-hmm. into getting your brain chemistry back but because it was a stimulant and it Mm -hmm. gave me energy Mm -hmm. it worked because it gave me energy and it got rid of the suicidal thoughts but i only took it for a year and then i'm off of it now and it also was in conjunction with talk therapy and trying to get like my life back together whatever what have you but that only happened because i was also fortunate enough to have the resources to do it, and to be around people, being yeah. a therapist myself, just being educated yeah. about it, which most yeah. people are not educated about It's tough, about yeah, most it.
3: people aren't. In the fir- and obviously, if the VA is saying, your first choice is drugs, yeah. most people take that, then most people will take it, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, But actually, what I did that has helped quite a bit is um, a therapy called somatic experiencing that is really about kind of partially reliving the trauma but not re-traumatizing yourself. <laughs> So you can kind of relive it to the extent that your emotions relive it and allow, allow you to um, uh, carry through whatever was trapped inside of you. Okay. If, 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 you, if you were frozen in a state of panic and, and um, fight or flight and then weren't able to fight or flight at the time. Because in my case, um, you know, it was the realization as we're driving through the city and bullets are flying everywhere right. that you realize you just might die. And that the realization came along with the idea of there's n- nothing I can do about it, because the likelihood is it'll just be a random, a- a right. random bullet flying between the vehicle, and it's not going to be someone necessarily even aiming for me, but I, the number of bullets passing through the sky right now, I'm probably going to die in a bunch of my soon, I'm probably going to get waxed. Um, but, experiencing that, but then also having to think, gosh, where's my beanie, and i got to keep an eye on yeah, that rooftop, yeah. and i got to, you know, means that you don't get to actually let it out of your body. Um, and so, after the fact in a nice very very safe environment with a therapist you kind of feel it and you like throw fists and you get upset with the people mm-hmm. that you feel betrayed by and stuff like that and you don't have to re-traumatize yourself and after you know an hour suddenly you're like oh my god so much weight was just lifted so you, you know anyone it. that's that's yeah. that's that's you know feeling any kind of trouble i would definitely recommend checking out somatic experiencing yeah especially for uh, for PTSD and combat vets it's become and as I've been kind of talking to people and, and therapists yeah. and whatnot, there's you definitely realize that there's um, a big growth in it right now because there's a lot of people that are seeking some sort of some sort of help and are frustrated by how poor it is.
2: Mm-hmm. Are, are there people like doing public announcements to make people feel comfortable coming out and getting help or anything? Is the military doing?
3: No, no. Hard? Unfortunately, I think I think the VA has a very difficult task because it's underfunded and it's. There's a lot of political pressure to to keep numbers down. Like there's yeah. a lot of stories of doctors that are that are uh, misdiagnosing PTSD people who have PTSD as not, or even changing diagnoses after oh, wow. the fact to save themselves money. Um, <laughs> and, and and it's just the VA is kind of the we're supposed to forget about brother of the military in that you have these huge unfunded wars. Yes. And you don't recognize the fact that you're also not only just spending the money of of buying the bullets and feeding everyone and whatnot, but every single person that you hurt, you're going to have to take care of for the rest of your life. Yes. And they have they don't have it funded well enough to do so. Um, so it's it's not a very it's not a very smooth running system. It you know it takes months and months and months to get anything done. There's there's a lot of people with really good hearts that are trying to fix it. Um, there's a lot of limitations on an organization yeah. as big as the VA. You know. So I even heard, like, unemployment rate among veterans. Oh, my God, it's terrible. Unemployment and um, and even homeless rates amongst vets are, like, eight yeah. times higher than the than the civilian population. So so when I, I know I'm still angry, but so
2: President Bush, to make this rash decision, he doesn't understand the secondary effect. All no. this thing that he has no. uh, no. release, the unemployment, the homelessness, and all these problems, you well, know, there's a... There's a there's a other costs that you can't even absolutely for. really
3: externalized costs that you're not taking into account. And I think it has something to do with you. You, you <laughs> mentioned earlier that you know when you were growing up, it was unheard of for anyone that didn't serve in the military to to run for presidential office. Yeah, yeah. And now all of the candidates didn't serve, and and in some cases, like we're 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 actually criminals for for not serving and for avoiding serving. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with it. That because someone because that doesn't know what it's going to be like is not going to be able to take responsibility exactly. for what that means for other people yeah. you know so if it's just a video game to him or if it's just the simple version of it that's told to him by his defense chiefs he doesn't have to really take much much yeah, responsibility he's removed for it. From it there was there was actually a really um, interesting little mem that I saw on Facebook the other day I don't know if you've seen the George Bush is apparently depressed and he's painting pictures of himself in the bathtub and he's there's a uh, a picture that got leaked is Picture of mm. him in the bathtub with his toes pointing out the end, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, there was a, a, a mem that showed a, a Marine without any legs saying, yeah. So George Bush is depressed and painting pictures of his feet, huh? Yeah. Wow,
0: yeah, that's the realization of it.
3: Right.
0: I like, right. uh, have some perspective here, President exactly. Bush. Exactly. But maybe you know, maybe he's depressed because maybe he's realizing all this shit that he's You kind of have paid. to, it yeah. it, it's eventually it's going like to hit you. Just like after the war you exactly.
3: came back eventually and PTSD hit you, you,
0: the same things may be happening. Exactly, happen while, he
3: was, while he was the guy making all the decisions, it was very easy for him to feel justified right. by it. He had a lot of yes men and he had a lot of good reasons to do what he was doing. Even if it was nothing but bad information being fed to him, You know, he was being told certain things and he was getting his, yeah. his job done. And now that... He's out and life is slow. It totally makes sense that he would get depressed and realize that he killed a million people for no reason.
2: Robert uh, McNamara, I think he was Secretary of Defense. I think for Mm -hmm. Lyndon Johnson during World War II. And my uncle, he he married my aunt, so he he served in Vietnam. He was attorney, so he was lucky. His job was basically, whenever we accidentally bomb Vietnamese person's house and they the cow die, have the compensate. Pay for the cow. And uh, right. we accidentally blew up the guy's leg off. My uncle's job was to negotiate, like, we'll give you X amount of money. And yeah, what's the like. cost of your leg? Yeah, it's, it's stuff like that. But he hated that guy. He fucking hated uh, McNamara because.
0: There's like a good documentary about it. Yeah, him. there was a
2: documentary about it. And he, he was like, you know, there's like those young Turks. These are like, you know, Harvards of the world, the Yales of the world, and extremely smart. And they were advising Lin, uh, Lyndon Johnson. And they ran war like running an automobile company, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's a lot more complicated. It's, it's it's the same fucking story every time. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's the same generals in the trenches of World War One, and they they were playing like a chess board game practically. And when they went to the battlefield, they had no idea mm-hmm. the how hellish situation was. Like they were
3: just massacring each other for no reason. You well, know, you can always the see fog of war. Big. Yeah, fog of war. There's yeah. there's a huge disconnect between. The intentions of the generals and how it actually played out on the ground. Yeah. and sometimes that was that was uh, for bet ba- for better, and sometimes it was for far worse. Of course, that that they can come up with any rules they want to about what the rules of engagement and who can get shot at, um, but the decision made by the individual soldier is theirs alone. And if they're if they've been yeah. influenced by things to make them more violent, yeah. there's going to be violence as a result. But I think more often than not, the individual soldier or marine. Really is looking for an opportunity to connect. Um, yeah. I brought up my uh, my, my buddy that, that went to Afghanistan years later. At this point, I was very much against the war. So I was trying to tell him for months before, don't go, don't go, don't go. Yeah. I know you did think you're going to grow from this. Believe it or not, he actually kind of did. He was very close to the end of his contract. And just because of when it was and his contract was actually going to end while we while they were going to be in Afghanistan... It wasn't necessarily that it was fully optional, it was just that if he wanted to fight for it a little bit, he could have gotten out. Yeah. But because of that attitude of you're a wimp if you don't go yeah. and you know, you just can't even entertain that notion, that it wasn't something that he was willing to, to really put much much effort into. So he went <coughs> mm-hmm. and I said, you know, I know that you think you're gonna grow from this and learn from this, but it, it only hurts people. It really does only yeah. hurt people. So he so he came back and he talked about how you know, that notion of no better friend, no worse enemy has kind of evolved just into the notion of, um, uh, you know, winning the hearts and minds. And, and there's there's unfortunately too many jokes about you win the hearts and minds by two in the chest and one in the head. Right. But that's that really is a lot of machismo. And for the most part, I think most grunts on the ground really do want to connect with people when they're being good to them. Mm. So um, for most of us, a security patrol is this really laborious, boring yeah. thing. You put on your gear, you put on your gun, you go on this long hike... Uh, it takes way too long you're way too hot, it's you know, body blah blah, blah blah. One particular squad in, in his unit while they were there, they decided that on their daily patrol they would go to the local watering hole and go hop in the go swimming with the kids. Yeah. And the first day the kids are like, What is this? This is weird and then, you know, the Marines are playing games and they're doing flips and they're smiling and laughing and the kids all start bonding with them and it became a really great relationship and yeah. it, and it provided quite a bit of security. So it benefited tactically. It benefited the individuals and their heart that it it led them to believe that they were very much there to respect to the afghan people and to and to yeah. to improve the lives of them and so he came home thinking that you know whether or not the overall mission had its had its its head straight or not our particular company did uh, and we did things. and that was very similar to the attitude that i have as the last thing that that i hear is we're leaving baghdad is thank you for safe us so i'm just like yeah great this is yeah, this yeah. is justifiable absolutely the truth is, those are just the little ways that we that we try to uh, sit right with it. When the reality of the, the the whole situation is this thing in which far more civilians are dying than than yeah. than, than uh, combatants. Um, it's it's just a bad situation all around. But you can you can tell that there is a struggling sense of humanity in the troops that go when they're constantly trying to justify to themselves via this: we made a bond with the local people, we mm. became friends, yeah. we became you know so. You can tell that it's, it is It is in and of it, like, by that alone, it is an unnatural thing. War is an unnatural thing. We we, we don't want to shoot someone that we don't have any aggressive fe- uh, feelings toward, but you put people in the right situation, and you'll have it, you know. Just you th- g- oh,
2: oh, sorry. Going back when you were talking about kids, and then we were talking before we were mm-hmm. starting a podcast, um, I mean, I don't want to trivialize it, but Video games definitely have, you know, movies and, and the pop culture stuff, definitely have influence in kids. I didn't really think about it too much until my friend's kid, last two or three, I think he's 16 now, seriously want to go to the military mm-hmm. academy, and I think, you know, playing Modern Warfare, too. I mean, I'm a adult. I could distinguish the two things, and, in, 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 you know, I, I didn't join the military, but I, I know the difference, but I think it's just so glamorized. it looks mm-hmm. war It's fun, you know,
3: mm-hmm. and it is, absolutely. I, I remember the very first time I saw Modern Warfare, it was at a friend of mine's house with a yeah. great surround sound system, big TV, and it was really scary, you know? And then as I started playing it, I enjoyed the heck out of it. So it, it, you, you, you say, I'm an adult, I can see the difference. And yeah, it's true. You can, you can consciously tell that there's a difference, but the effect that it has on the mind is probably not very easily distinguished, you know what I mean? If, if you get a sense of joy... From capping someone in their head and, and the little pink mist that pops up, that's not overall a good thing for your life. You know, right. it's still n- it's still normalizing you to violence. If you, if if you know this game in which the worst thing that can happen to you is that you die and you just lose the cool gun that you had at the time right. and now you respawn with a new one or something like that, that's not really teaching people the repercussions and the seriousness of war. You know, and I think it all. Um, compounds. You know, when you have a a, a commander in chief who has no comprehension of what war is, and you have a bunch of troops that are just playing video games, and all the 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 non commissioned officers, the kind of middle management of the military. Yeah. Um. Ha- it's 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 been long enough since the last war that none of them have really v- very much war experience. This is all at the beginning of the war. A lot of mistakes were kind of made as a result. A lot of people kind of treated it as a video game. A lot of people treated it lightly. Yeah. Presidents treated it like, oh, it's just a political decision. It's got, you know, I doubt he ever really took into account the human costs of this. You and know? and in
2: Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, before he uh, left an office, he, he warned...
3: About Americans military industrial complex.
2: Military industrial complex. But now we live in a military oh, industrial so. entertainment complex. Yes. Because yes. entertainment has such a huge influence. Like I was telling uh, Lily, too... The, f- the head of MPAA who does rating for movies used to work for Lyndon Johnson and He r- he ran that department for years and there's a documentary about it and uh, what was it, uh, this movie's not un- not rated? Unrated? Yeah. yeah. This movie
0: will not be rated?
2: Yeah, something like that. Great documentary mm-hmm. because...
0: This movie has not been rated. Yes,
2: there we go. There you go. It has so much power on the young people because they really control what movie they could watch. Mm-hmm. So, let's say mm-hmm. there's a movie that has nudity Mm-hmm. but people are just making love or whatever it's rated R but if you have a movie let's say big blockbuster movie like uh, Transformer or something where the military have a cozy relationship with, and, and I like the movie you and know, there's a
3: lot of death in it you yeah, know, it's uh, a very very violent movie but it's popcorn fun so PG-13 it's pop-
2: people mm-hmm. PG-13 is fun to watch mm-hmm. the young kids in like wow military is a cool mm-hmm. thing to join absolutely and I'm going to get fucking <laughs> furious with whoever made those decisions if my friends get Kids get killed mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he just happened to watch something over the summer yeah. mm-hmm. and playing the goddamn video games. Yep. Oh, this looks like a fun thing, and I want to go.
3: Well, I mean, it's 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 bigger than than the military industrial complex and the and the the video game industry. In that, if you if you if you follow the dollar, fifty three percent, fifty three cents out of every dollar that is collected in taxes it goes into the military industrial complex in some way or another. Jesus, a lot so of money. it just kind of demonstrates that our entire society is geared toward this. So. Whether that be in the, um, I mean, uh, there's there's enormous sums of money that the that the video game industry has received from the DOD because yeah. they make very good realistic training scenarios. You know, I mean, that's oh better than yeah. any trainer that yeah. that, that the military has ever developed on its own. Wo- Modern Warfare 3 would be a fantastic get you ready for combat. You know, you uh, know. get I you know. ready
0: to believe that you're not going to die. You're just there to right. kill other people.
3: And I wouldn't be
2: surprised some of these video game players. Join the military and operate drones. I mean mm-hmm. these drones. Oh, that's what I wanted to ask you. So s- got I saw We've drones got I saw drones fly by point.
0: me in Cars in at the Home Depot Center, by the way. It was fucking scary. I thought they were UFOs. Is that your ex
2: a black boyfriend's name?
0: <laughs> I was with him at the time <laughs> <laughs> when it happened. Oh, really? But we saw we like, what the fuck was that? And wow. these three tiny little drones like moving so quickly stopped for I th- s I don't that's know if I should be creepy. talking about this actually. That's
2: creepy. But
0: uh Wait, this In LA, like at the Home Depot Center, it was after. I
3: mean, it's just floating. So,
0: ti- three of them, tiny little things with. Remember, green within a hundred
3: miles of the border, the um, the Border Patrol has been using them for a couple of years. So and it's, been it's common
0: knowledge now. I guess I could talk about yeah. it. It's common knowledge, and people know these things exist. People know that these things are being deployed to kill people, but also t- for surveillance. Mm-hmm. Um, what
2: do you call those things when you see airplane? They have a, a string, and they put a message. Um,
0: oh. I don't know what those are called, but, yeah, I know what you're talking <laughs> like about. Like, Sarah,
2: will you marry me or yeah. whatever, you know what I'm
0: saying?
2: I can only imagine they put one of those suckers with uh, drones and join U.S. military or whatever. <laughs> whatever exactly. You know.
0: Well, the surveillance of his farmer is far more, uh, well, scary for sure. me. Um, but, anyway, uh, yeah, your thought on drones, real quick, if we could get that. And also, I wanted to get your thoughts on the Body of War documentary.
3: Well, drones is tough because... Um, uh, my fiancé's grandpa over this past Christmas, um, we're sitting there watching the news, and, and he says to me, so, boy, I really do like these drones. And I was curious, because he's a really peaceful, great, really really just sweetest guy. And I was curious. I, was, I said, why? He said, well, because, you know, it's, it's keeping our, our soldiers safe. And I get that. That makes an enormous amount of sense. Um, but he, he got that from a very simplified uh, version of the news, where... Right. The truth is, um, Robert Gibbs, the the Obama's first press secretary, had orders to never talk about drones, to deny them if anyone talked about them for his for his uh, couple of years as press secretary. What was that? Because it's not, it's really hard to justify illegal. It should be. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's very hard to justify because for one thing, we're using them not just in Iraq and Afghanistan, like we're using them in seven different countries around the world, most of which, well, none of which we've declared war on, but we we have uh, more than tenuous reasons to be there in the first place right and eighty percent of the people that they hit are are civilian casualties and the majority of them are what we dub as uh, combatants just because they're of military age and are in the area yeah. less than one percent of the total deaths uh due to due to drone strikes have actually been a target a high value target of anyway the majority of them are children and innocent civilians and that's <sighs> and that's really devastating and so I get where he's coming from with the right. notion of it, it keeps our guys safe, but that assumes, and he he was, he was a vet, that assumes that you're still operating according to the laws of war or the laws of the military that we right. all kind of assume that we're operating on, that you're only using it... The uh, Kind of the assumption that people have is there's a firefight in a war that, that we happen to be in, and a drone comes through and, and saves right. the good guys by shooting at the bad guys. And the truth is we're not using them to replace... Our soldiers to keep our soldiers safe We're going a lot further than our soldiers would be able to go We're in Yemen, we're in Afghanistan We're in Pakistan We're in places where the world isn't really Comfortable with us having boots on the ground yet So it's not keeping boots safe Because we wouldn't have them there in the first place Mm. So I think it's just And because, now I can say that it's not treated As a video game within the military Because the first time a guy says, wow that was cool, it was like a video game He gets taken outside and talked to about How very serious this is, because they do take their job Very serious, but the fact that they can drone someone and then drive home for dinner just creates a new war and a new kind of warrior kind of thing where they're going to have a different level of PTSD, definitely. Um, but also it just makes it way too easy to kill people. And that there's it's there's far lower of a bar to prove that someone is a hostile in the first place. Like the, um, the thing that Manning released years ago, not a single individual amongst what I'm talking about is... Um, I don't remember the name of the video. It was like a half an hour video of a, of a, military, or of a, uh, yeah, a military helicopter. Oh, uh, they were shooting down Iraqi civilians. Right, in, in yeah. Baghdad. And the, the very first group of people that they started firing at, they assumed because there was a couple of military-aged males with equipment around their shoulders yeah. that they interpreted as rifles, turns out they were reporters. They were just photographers and reporters. So this whole group of people that it started on, none of them were hostiles in the first place. Right. But then the helicopter opens up on them, And now civilians are racing in to help them, a a little minivan races in to help them, there's kids involved, and they just keep on taking people out. And you can tell both from kind of the perspective of of the, the, the gunner and the pilot, the lightness with which they treat the situation, that was disturbing. And also the fact that there was no evidence, well, there was what they believed to be evidence, but there was no certain evidence that anyone was even... A terrorist or a hostile fighter in the first place, right? And who knows how many dozens of people died as a result of that? Yeah. And that was one incident. So when we separate ourselves so much, it becomes a lot harder to be really accountable for for what you're doing. And yep. and I, I don't I don't like the direction that that's that that's going. My, my friend eva owner's movie that she
2: won Oscar, uh, Taxi to Dark Side, two thousand eight. Sorry, if I don't remember right, but I think. They falsely accused this Afghani guy of being a terrorist and they just tortured the fuck out of him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the medical report was basically, uh, at first, natural death, was a natural mm-hmm. causes natural death. But mm-hmm. I think the another doctor did a re-examination
3: like he was tortured. He and died. And he, he died, yeah.
0: Did you see any of that? Did you
1: see torture at all?
3: Not torture, no. We had a lot of um, EPWs, which is uh, enemy prisoner of war, mm-hmm. where like a, a, a regiment would be disbanded and we'd get word, okay, a yeah. bunch of bunch of Iraqis are gonna start walking through. But we never we never saw any of them in uniform carrying white flags. Right. It was just big, huge just swaths of civilian or what looked like civilians. And then you'd drive a little further and see piles of uniforms, so you're you're questioning how many of those civilians right. were in fact military. Um but so there was some EPW handling, some prisoner handling and whatnot. But any that I saw around me, like there might have been like um, some rudeness or some, you know, not, not really treating someone with as much respect as they as they should have as humans. Mm-hmm. But there was they were treated with a lot more respect than some of the uh, examples that I've seen. So, mm-hmm. no, fortunately.
0: Oh And Devon, um, you watched the Body of War documentary about the uh, uh, army vet mm-hmm. who went to. I don't about it. Uh, he went to Iraq. Uh, he signed up to join the military or the army be- because of September 11th. So he's okay. one of those guys who heard the the famous speech Bush gave, um, and was very inspired and wanting to help his country, yeah. and r- really motivated. So called his recruiter like a couple days later, signed up, trained, went to Iraq, which had nothing to do with 9/11 in Afghanistan. Yeah. Was like, "Why? I thought I'd be going to Afghanistan, but I'm going to Iraq." Goes to Iraq within five days of service, shot uh through his collarbone what goes into his spine paralyzed yeah. and his chest down um in this documentary it also reveals was not properly trained at all yeah. for whether they're going they're basically like ha- the way he described it was they were like ducks in a mm. in a in a cargo van being shot at easily easy targets for yeah. the iraqis
1: yeah
0: uh to be shot at well, a bunch of them were killed um and then he comes back has lots of trouble through the VA doesn't get proper treatment Mm -hmm. in the hospital for three to four months when he should have been there for Mm -hmm. at least a year or longer probably would have had a better prognosis and the latest with this is that he is planning on ending his life in May. Well he had
3: a turn for the worse he for a while there was at least able to kind of uh, feed himself and dress himself and uh, he had a a turn for the worse I think he had a fall or something like that and it it made the whole situation a lot worse he can't move at all and he can't dress himself he can't clean himself or anything and, um, his
0: name's Thomas Young.
3: That's so he's actually Amy, um, when we went to, a, my fiance Amy, when we went to the Iraq Veterans Against the War um, conference in 2009, mm-hmm. she met um, her mom and interviewed her. She met Tom's mom? Oh, his mom. Yeah,
1: okay.
3: Uh, Tom's mom, and interviewed him about, about or interviewed oh, her wow. about about uh, him and everything. Um, but yeah, so what Elite's saying is, is that recently news came out that because of the turn for the worst that he's taken and that he doesn't want to continue to be a burden on his family he's planning on ending his life. So
0: how did that affect you, watching this documentary and, and you being also a veteran of Iraq and
3: Well, I mean it just it, it, it spoke to the the sense of betrayal that he felt and that in his case he paid for th- for the rest of his life. Yeah that it was that it was some very patriotic meaning mistakes that he made, you know, that that yeah. that, that by by no ill will of his own, he ended up with a really terrible uh, lot in life for the past eight years, ten years, and uh, and now he's, he's planning on ending his life because he doesn't want to be a part of this anymore. He doesn't want to hurt other people around him, and he doesn't want to yeah. be a burden. It's it's really rough. Um, mm. uh, <sighs> the fact that that's the only option he's got left, it's right. just, just a tragic. Exactly. And this exactly. is just one story. Exactly, with exactly. Many. And that... that um, you know, uh, 22 veterans a day take their own lives. More than are dying in the war. Yeah. More than 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 were killing themselves at the height of the Vietnam War. Yeah. And when you consider how many more um, were killed, how many more of our so- soldiers were killed, and how much more, what we believe to be how much more dramatic that situation was, because you're just lost in the middle of the jungle, and you never know yeah. if you're going to get out kind of thing. Terrible, cut off everything. You know, it, not at all the same war. But the fact that we have more veterans killing themselves every day now. Than we did at the height of the suicide epi- epidemic in Vietnam is really telling, mm. you know. It says one, we're, we're following the wrong treatment. 2 we're, there's some there's something that's causing people to be seriously hurt by this. And I and I would yeah. I would suggest that it really is the difference between what you think you're signing up for and what you're actually signing up for. Right. Mm. You know what's actually happening. Well, you know.
0: well, said. Um, you have any other question?
2: Well, I mean, I, mean, I don't, I don't want to always portray military in a bad light, mm-hmm. you know. I don't
3: either. I don't either. Yeah. I want to try to clear that up a little bit because, you know, I, I was extremely proud of joining mm-hmm. the, the Marine Corps. I was, I was, I, in, I loved boot camp so much. Yeah. Um, I loved everything about the military, some of the, the BS and the, like, this. Yeah. These kind of orders don't make sense to me to, to to stand around and do this one thing for whatever when I could have done it this much smarter. You always on the on the ground think that you can you can figure it out a lot a lot better, but that's just kind of you accept that as part of being a marine that 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 marines their lot in life is is they get the rough the rough mission but they get the job done and they've got a very um, proud tradition of doing so. Right. Um.
2: But we want to bring up this issue because. We want military to get better,
3: right? Absolutely, and yeah. I, I honestly think that what it is is it's a it's a failure of civilian leadership. Yeah, you know it's there's huge. This the military. military I had no
2: idea any any of this military stuff. Right. You know, well, there, really the
3: military know. did nothing wrong by by following the orders of its commander in chief and mm-hmm. invading two two nations. It did exactly what its purpose is, and it did it. I think with as much good intention as possible. I think there could have been some decisions by some of the generals to. Mm-hmm. Um, prepare us for the, the local culture and try to get some, some people um, with some local language skills in and whatnot, that could have really benefited. And there were some well, sure. tactical decisions that could have helped. But I, I'm not going to you know, uh, say that that's anyone's fault. I think, for me, the, the real problem was the civilian leadership, the choice to go to war in the first place. And that wasn't made by the military, wasn't made by any generals, wasn't made by any lance corporals on the ground. If, if they if just if did their job the best they could once they got there. If anything, military know what they're going to get into. Exactly, exactly. You know, where where the the civilians that made the decision to send us in, you know, a uh, lot of stuff is coming out now that they knew they were lying at the time. So, right. so th- I think it's important that they're held accountable for that kind of thing because Absolutely. if they're not, we're going to continue to make these kind of mistakes, and it's an absolute abuse of of the military that you've got this huge this this very large group of people who want so much to do right by their country to do right by their people. Yeah and to, to, to be honorable and be respectful and to carry on a proud tradition, and that they, that they then get tasked with doing things that are illegal and immoral for the sake of, of political gain mm. is really wrong. And, and it's unfortunate that, it, that I sit here and I tell the story and that it, comes o- it really does, and I don't blame you for, for, for thinking that it does. It comes off as, as believing that the military is, is wrong or, or bad or has, 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 has done wrong in those ways. And I think, yeah, there's some, there's some individuals that were selfish or made stupid decisions, yeah. but that wasn't the problem. The problem is that we were put there in the first place, that if this was the actual hostile event that they made it out to be, their justification was that they felt they, they were threatened, this, that Saddam yeah. was going to hurt the United States. And that was a joke, obviously. So save it for real situations, and one, it doesn't need to be so large, doesn't need to be so abused. You want to have people with so much, so much uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. You want to have uh, uh, such a... a a disastrous result of the whole thing if you if it can be used mm-hmm. in honorable ways in the ways that it you know protect your country to to, to actually um, protect your civilians against hostile forces yeah there's nothing you know more honorable that you could really do so stop taking advantage of that and lying to people you know that's really where the problem comes in mm-hmm.
2: and, 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 and it's always the cause you know it's it's, it's like buying a car they don't tell you the hidden cause, right? Exactly. There's definitely a hidden cause mm-hmm. in war. Yeah. I mean, even with this popularity drone, yeah, we do kill, kill the uh, Anwar Arawaki in Northern Anwar Africa. Arawaki, yeah, yeah, we got him, and we got his son. Um, but when His we son,
3: d- a 14-year-old, yeah, very born American citizen.
2: <laughs> and whenever we he use him in places nothing. like Pakistan, yeah, mm-hmm. we get these some of these bad guys, but the cause is a lot of other there people, are people who, who were maybe neutral, mm-hmm. but now they see this, they hate America now so, mm-hmm. so everyone that you kill in Pakistan or Afghanistan or wherever there's un- unintended consequences like people who are in the kind of middle
3: now feel like, they killed my cousin I'm, I'm going to mm-hmm. fight. Well if you were the guy that, that, that rose up against Saddam in 91 and yeah. then wasn't really too trusting of Americans when yeah. they said they were going to do the same thing, and then they showed up they, they did their thing, they took out Saddam so you're generally kind of wary, but you're like, all right, good, good choice. Yeah. And then your brother gets blown up, and then your son gets blown up. It doesn't take very long for you to start, when, when, when uh, the Americans are making no effort to reach out to you and say, hello. it doesn't take very long for right. you to start talking to the guys that are. When, when um, al-Qaeda in Iraq starts coming around and saying, hey, yeah. you know, come work for us, um, and, and you can't work anymore because your, your, your job was, was ended when the building that you worked right. in was blown up or whatever else. You know, you put you put a war into a country and it's going to have huge consequences and and you know, the CIA has a term for for specific what you're talking talking about, blowback, where the unintended consequences of something in that case they're usually talking about the unintended consequences of foreign action yeah. that we try to hide from the American people. But in the sense that when Bush said they hate us because we're free, that, that was a <laughs> plain and simple lie. That if you if you if you start from there and then go forward and then go invade Afghanistan and then go inv- invade Iraq and say that that they're only hostile to us because we're free, well you've you've already started off on the wrong step. You're already lying, and that there's there's no truth in that in the first place. So you're you just going to get lost from there.
2: Is a combination of lying and uh, just ignorance because one of the things we were so afraid in Southeast Asia was spread of communism. Mm-hmm. So we were afraid the North feared the means going to take South and then then right. going to b- buddy up with Chinese. Well, if any, any, you could ask any basic Asian person, do Chinese and Vietnamese people like each other? Answers, no, they fucking hate each other. They've been right. going to war. So, yeah, this, this, this ignorance things. And, and like mm-hmm. I said, I, I don't, I'm going back, like, we, we have a lot of respect. It's like military and, and like, um, these big uh, corporations, mm-hmm. the upper management people are the, always the scumbag because mm-hmm. the people on the bottom working,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I don't have a problem with that. Look at example Pat Tillman. Oh yeah. Incredible American. I mean mm-hmm.
3: It's a really tragic story.
2: Yeah. I mean, Wh- it's What it's happened with him? Pat it
3: Tillman was the, uh, he was, well, he and, his brother players in a car he and his brother were very, very famous um, uh, athletes, professional athletes. They both were uh, baseball players first, and then he became a football player as well.
2: Incredibly good player for uh, yeah. uh, Cardinal. His fa- uh, grandfather served in World War II, and I think his father served in Korea. Car-
3: yeah, they yeah. had a long history. So so him and his brother go off and join the Rangers after 9-11. They're like, we're going to go. And he gives up his NFL career. Oh, for my his NFL contract, Millions do of dollars. So it's a big story. And uh, he does a couple of deployments, and he he after a little while really realizes this isn't what he signed up for. They're lying. This is some bullshit. Fuck. And uh, and he died. He got shot in the back. It was fratricide. It was Americans that killed him. And <gasps> the immediate then no one's saying that that was intentional. It was it was absolutely m- most likely just a, a friendly mistake fire. and friendly fire. Um, but that the White House got hold of it and within the first hours they were they were trying to spin this 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 story of this american hero that was charging up a hill killing terrorists and he he took a few in the head Mm. and uh and it wasn't at all true in any way and they spent months trying to cover up that it was fratricide and Uh. the mom and family just wanted to know the truth for the longest time but the the guy was think about what he did there he was an nfl player that that gives up this million dollar contract to go fight for the war and decides this is some bullshit. He was, was going to leave the military when he got back from, from that particular deployment. He was so over it. And then he gets shot in the back, and the military lies about the truth of how he died. Oh. They were during, I think injustice
0: on top of injustice. Yeah.
3: And God, I think they were so trying, trying to, like,
2: promote the war make him a war hero, yeah. make a hero out of him. Mm-hmm. And it's a very good, great recruiting
3: tool to Absolutely. say, like, look at this young man. Look at this great-looking American. You yeah. know, he's, he's a badass recon dude. Or, uh, uh. I mean, he was a well-read, very smart,
2: very considerate person. Mm-hmm. He only had one girlfriend. He married her, wow. and he, he was just an all around great guy. And he was very strange in that in a football culture where everybody's like want to you know do, hit each other. Mm-hmm. He's a very thoughtful person. Mm-hmm. I, I I tell my friend he's better than Jesus. Mm-hmm. Wow. Pat Tillman was all American. Gr- uh, he yeah. It, it breaks your heart when he you watch his documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's the
0: documentary called?
2: Oh, it's by Alex Gibney, who also made uh, a movie with Ava Horner, like the Taxi to Dark Side, mm-hmm. I mean, she's a great document, it, it, it just breaks you up, but when you see a guy like that, I mean, he's the last person you would think, like millions, I mean, he they,
0: really embodied the American spirit,
2: yeah, he, he was just a great, great person, and his family is a great person, and, the, mm-hmm. and the, during the funeral, you know John McCain and like a Sh- uh, Maria mm. Shriver, they're 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 saying all kinds of stuff. It's just a really hacky... What war hero
3: he was. Yeah, yeah
2: and like it's brothers like. You know oh, yeah, there was
3: emails to the White House that day, kind of saying, "Let's we got to get a hold of this. This is, we need to turn this into a big story." And da da da. da.
2: And there's many people, many of the, um, of the ho- uh, higher up in military, if I remember right, they knew he was killing friendly mm-hmm. fire, and they lied to the parents.
3: Mm-hmm. Lied yeah, to right them. away they knew it was friendly fire, and and from the start they told it it was this big story. can i uh, can i tell you a story to, to try to cheer you up yes please Yay. um so i it, in my opinion at least i think that the ultimate failing here that has led to the disasters of both wars hasn't i mean yeah there's there's a lot of question we've talked about kind of the 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 violence in our culture and that that will you know lead to to major problems um but that i think that the ultimate Real failure there was, like I said, the civilian leadership, the decision to go in the first place, right. and that if you look at all the other aspects of our society, it's civilian leadership that are failing us. you know the banks are are bigger than ever and, and getting away with more illegal things than ever, and we've got seventeen trillion in debt, and we're looking at wars with all these other countries and 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 so you can, you can be like, all oh, hope is lost, you know the, the apocalypse is coming but i I, I looked at um, a couple of guys that worked for the for the Clinton White House started doing some history research and discovered a pattern this 80 year cycle that has happened at least for for the the course of american history and and for a few hundred years of european history before that at least where basically 80 years is the general life cycle of one person and that's broken into four four times you go up until you're 20 you're a kid 20 to 40 you're a young adult you've got a certain sense of responsibility just yeah. you know 40 to 60 you have a, a lot more responsibility and as much power as you're ever going to have and then 60 to 80 you're in your waning years and you're supposed to be enjoying the fruits of all those previous years and and that um, entire societies have, see this on a bigger level that anyone that's about the same age group sees an event and sees it from the perspective of someone from that age group so generation X very much is generation X it's a bunch of people that have very somewhat similar beliefs about things and uh, uh, the baby boomers have, they all experienced JFK, they all experience yeah. uh, Vietnam, etc. cetera, um, and that every 20 years, as these genera- as all four of these different generations kind of move in society up to the next level, you know, that the kids become the young adults, the right. young adults become the adults, and the, old, the, the adults kind of start retiring, you get shifts in, in the society and the way the society behaves and, and responds and stuff like that, and that over the course of four of these 20-year periods, you kind of go through four seasons you have a, a spring, a summer, a fall, and uh, and a winter yeah um, and that and that what what generally is happening is that um, during the winter. Things are kind of falling apart. Society starts to fall apart. People realize that they, that they need to take responsibility for society and that if it's not held together by people that care, it will all just go away, and we need it very desperately. And so they take responsibility for it, and you can see what happened at the end of World War II was exactly that, that the greatest generation took responsibility, cr- came back, took, uh, took, uh, uh, ran for office in various different places and, and started kind of dealing with their own civic responsibility, and it created this, this, this great birth of new thoughts and new ideas in the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. and lots of new freedoms coming about and stuff like that. And that was the summer. That was the high of it all. And then it started waning as we, everyone started getting a lot more um, selfish and individualist in the 80s and 90s. And now the, the end result of that is that you know uh, the lies that we told ourselves to keep on making rich people richer are, are starting to come down and start to, to crash. And that, as a result of this whole thing, every eighty years or so, you can you can see a very clear pattern happening. That we have uh, we have a very massive war often, and in our case, it was the, the Revolutionary War, and then the Civil War, and then World War II. Um, every eighty years, you have financial collapse, and that financial collapse, which you can look at 1929 stock market and 2008 uh, financial crisis, yeah. they're they're 79 years apart. Um, and that it's not just a random thing, it really is the length of a lifetime, that as, as people start to forget how important it is to be responsible, that the people who are making the decisions, the presidents that are sending us to war, the, cor- the people that are running corporations that are making decisions, that are having externalized costs that hurt the people in China or the people in Bangladesh or whatever else, that making irresponsible decisions, when it happens collectively enough, eventually gets to a point where the whole society is about to collapse and it's teetering on the edge of a cliff. And it gets really bad, and it scares the bejesus out of everyone, and then everyone has to collectively come together and decide that they're going to take responsibility for it again. And then you have this, this new rebirth, and you have a new spring. And um, we're kind of coming up on that. You know, you can look at, at um, what's going on with North Korea, and you can look at what's going on with Iran, and, and you know, with the DHS arming for possible civil, uh, civil upheaval and whatnot in the U.S. And, and we we're looking at, in the next couple of years, at least in my opinion, a period of of some real challenges for us financially, you know, possible you know uh, challenges to the dollar, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that what's what's happening because we're all having these conversations and realizing just how tenuous the bonds of civilization are, and that mm-hmm. that we really need to have more responsible people making the decisions about who goes to war. And I mean, how many people actually care about who they're voting for with president? People say that they're voting for the lesser of two evils. Well, that means you're voting for an evil. That's not mm-hmm. a good idea. Mm-hmm. And so. If change? we can all collectively decide to yeah. take that responsibility and see how, how how important that is, we'll have a new spring and it'll be a beautiful, beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And I- there has to be some level of collapse for that to happen. There has to be. Right now, President Obama did not learn anything from President Bush. He did not learn that you can be punished by, by starting a war with, with countries that should not be warred against. Um, and in fact, he got rewarded for it. He stepped up the drone war, he stepped up the Afghan war, and got re, re um, uh, uh, elected and that we're, we're rewarded by all mm-hmm. pains to have mm-hmm. to responsibly for anything. But when it gets bad enough, when it gets, and it's getting bad enough in Europe, you can yeah. see it obviously with you know, Cyprus falling apart and everything, when it gets bad enough and people get just, just pissed off enough to get out in the streets and stand up or do whatever they need to do to kind of get connected with it again, you then have the opportunity for people who are giving an actual thought and, act and taking responsibility to be running things. And, and the fortunate thing for all of us is that it means that by the time we're retiring, we're going to be enjoying a new, a new summer again. So Aww, look forward to the future. That is it's gonna a happy be a tough thought. couple of years, but look forward to the future. It'll be good for all. Yeah, that's not. for
0: everyone in the twenty to thirty age group. Yes. Y'all are we are gonna have a spring coming up. Yeah. <laughs> We're old, <laughs> Yoshi. You're fucked.
2: All right, Devin, th- Thanks. I, I just have a couple more questions, sure. and then, you know, I, I know you're very busy. We really, really appreciate it. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm going to Afghanistan t- less than two weeks now, and
3: you're actually there right now.
2: <laughs> well, yes, technically. <laughs> yes. If you're listening to this, I'm in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm very torn because I have people that I care and love. They live in Afghanistan, and I'm very concerned for them because, as you know, U.S. military leave in 2014. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I, I, I don't want to be put in a position to ask someone's son or daughter to sacrifice their lives to protect people in Afghanistan, but mm-hmm. uh, it's such a dangerous area with Pakistan next to it. My friend Sam runs every media company. He's doing a lot of great things, you know, with, because most of the population are illiterate, so they watch TV, and has definitely changed people's opinions. You know, they, should, they watch it so opera for God's sake, which was forbidden under Taliban rule. Mm-hmm. So I think shows like that really expand people's imagination. They learn to treat their wife maybe even better. Mm-hmm. Medical advice, because they can't read. In fact, people who can read, they watch Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. To That's learn awesome. to write, That's so th- to write. these are some of the soft power, idealism. Of America. This is things that America do so well, and the people are being mm-hmm. grateful throughout mm-hmm. the world. Having said that, well, what's your feeling of Afghanistan? I mean, do you, do you think after the U.S. military leave,
3: you think Taliban's going to overtake the country? What, what? I think so. Um, they they. But at the same time, the question, the additional question, should be: Is that a problem? Um, in that you can look at uh, for one example opium production in Afghanistan and if you look at the past 20 years there was one year in which it took an 80% dip And it was the one year in which the Taliban was in control of the the government. It was the year before we invaded and and the year after they took control. But they produced like 90% of heroin or something like that. Right, the country produces 90% of the heroin in the entire world, but it's very much against um, the the Islam um, religion, the Muslim religion. And so when the Taliban um, had power over Afghanistan, they eradicated it. And the UN said it was the most effective drug eradication program they'd ever seen. So in some ways that might be beneficial. However, at the same time, they're a very misogynistic and very um, anti-freedoms, anti-equality uh, group of people. And I, w- I was, no uh, surprise. I was very
2: uncomfortable because I will walk with my friend Sarah Jean, and she's half Egyptian in English, and these motherfuckers just stare at women. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. stare. I mean, in America, if you see an attractive girl, you pretend like you look in a car, but you kind of look at the girl and live it
3: at that. They, they well, did you stare? feel like they were staring because they were attracted to her or because they were they they were curious?
2: It's probably both of those, but
3: because uh, there's also quite a um I'm sure an attitude of 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 less than a dog.
2: Yeah.
3: You, know, you know, like you, you treat a woman with less respect than a dog because a woman only has one particular job, her job is just to bear children. She's not supposed to think, she's not supposed to talk, yeah. she's not supposed to 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 make decisions or really, you know, think for herself or do anything for herself. Um some but. of those
2: guys believe that they, if, they, if a woman's not covering her hair, then she must be a whore.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, yeah, uh, terrible uh, things.
0: Because only the husband's supposed to see their hair,
3: right? Right, right, or their skin.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: I, I'm, I'm very concerned about that because I think in the last 10 years, women's rights have increased tremendously, and people are nice. And I think in
3: some ways they have, yes, absolutely, because, of, because it's so important to us and because mm-hmm. of the number of NGOs and the number of good people that have gone over and tried and the number absolutely. of people that have tried There's to start so schools, et, cetera, et cetera, It's happening. But at the, at, the, at the same time, the people who are hurt by war most is civ- civilians and children and women. Mm-hmm. Like, the groups who are most hurt by war are mm-hmm. women and children. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, the, the man might be the combatant and he might get shot, but if he gets shot and all the other men get shot and the woman loses her hand because, you know, uh, uh, a bomb went off or something like that, She's going to have a pretty difficult time taking care of the children that are left for her to take care of. Yeah. Um, and there's no, there's no economy to depend on. There's no, there's no trade to depend on. They never know when a drone might just blow something up. So, mm-hmm. the, the it's tough to talk about, um, the question of of women's rights, um, and women's rights within Afghanistan w- within the context of within a war zone. No one really has the rights that they're supposed to have. Yeah. No one is, you know. Any, even even women that that um, have found a school that is taking care of them and is treating them well and that they're going to, they still have the worry that their house might get blown up between yeah. between schooling, um, and that and that that you can't deny the one because of the other, um, and so I think in some ways the U.S. military leaving and no longer being uh, chasing down terrorists within the country will absolutely benefit the Afghan people uh, because they're you know no more drone no more uh, threat of drone warfare or, or, or whatever else however you know these group of people um both the Taliban and honestly even the um the uh, the, uh Afghan government they're very misogynistic they're they're it's it, it's it's not very surprising um what the 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 um kind of personality of the people in charge are because when we were kind of fighting our proxy war against Russia and yeah. backing up um, the Mujahideen, we went specifically looking for whoever was the most freedom-hating, the most misogynistic, the most like able to get all riled up yeah. and, and, hey, go after these non-Muslims, go after these foreign invaders of your land. And so we very much created a power structure of the people that were you know the worst examples that so we don't want running a society and then put them in charge to run a society. So big surprise that they end up with... If you look at Afghanistan in the 60s and 70s, it was beautiful that people were in school, that women were going to school. Like, it were, was a very modern society. It, right. It, it, they were wearing miniskirts. It was a modern society. And then foreign countries started fighting proxy wars there and started... Yeah. You know, oil interests became important and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So while they I think there's a huge amount of...
2: As long as we were fulfilling our geopolitical interests and, mm-hmm. and interests over there, mm-hmm. we were blind to all this yeah. sexism, mm-hmm. abuse of women. Absolutely,
3: and, you know. I mean. Absolutely. Well, I think in that, regardless of it, we are still justifying um, being there when the majority of the Afghan population and and the, just the majority of the people themselves don't want us to be there, and they they feel like they would do better on their own if we left, and so. Th- I don't know what will happen when we leave. I don't. However,
2: I think that's the honest answer because we really don't. We really
3: don't. Know. You know, it might be the Taliban. It might be the the the, the Karzai government. Who knows? Um, but I think that it's something they need to figure out for themselves. No country ever benefited by being handed their democracy. They need to fight for it. It's the yeah. same thing as I was talking about before that, you the people need to take responsibility responsibility for it themselves in order to have that responsibility in them when they're making decisions going forward. Totally. Um, and if we try to hand someone democracy, they're not going to appreciate it, they're not going to respect it as much, they're not going to treat it with, with the, the um, responsibility that they need to. And so, it, while it's kind of scary saying that they might, mm-hmm. they, very, they probably face a civil war when we leave, they kind of need to. And they need to decide for themselves who's going to make the right decisions, or who's going to make decisions for them going forward. But I think, I think that one huge side effect, or one huge benefit of us being there, is that we're, we're telling them that it's important that women have rights that Absolutely. it's not something that they need to be ashamed of and the women don't need to be ashamed of that they want it or th- this isn't weird this isn't unnatural for them to desire it and that enough of them are just are are willing to stand up for it afterwards that no matter who's in charge i think the society's going to grow and that obviously you can see with us being there or russia being there it hasn't helped them so even though we have good w- there's a lot of us with good interest in being there it, it, it is certainly better than if it wasn't there at all. If, if there was a war and there was no NGOs trying to help people, the NGOs being there is definitely better. But I think that if there was no war at all, it would still be better for the people, even without the NGOs. Hopefully because of the NGOs and all the organizations that have been spending time, it's changed the culture enough that they can start to take that responsibility for themselves and make better decisions on the backside of it.
2: But, by the way, when we say NGOs, non-governmental organization, and right. there's many expats that met in Afghanistan. They're doing wonderful work. It, 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 it could, it, obviously it's a cultural thing because mm-hmm. you know that the, the Pakistani Taliban tried to shoot that little girl Malala she's recovering right now and in the last couple months there was just horrible horrible I mean all rapes are horrible but the, the gang rape in India
1: mm-hmm.
2: so that I mean i work worked in adult business for 14 years mm-hmm. and I, I know I'm a pig when it comes to porn and stuff but visiting that part of the world I, I, I mean, it was so shocking mm-hmm. It's just unimaginable how bad for it is to be a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and for sure, Afghanistan has to be one of the worst, if not the top three worst
3: place. I think it for is, actually. I think, they, I think they, they published that it is the worst place in yeah, the got, world. It's got to be.
2: And I'm not a bleeding-hard bleeding liberal or anything like that, but I, I do know that when you take care of women I'm – not, I'm not some feminist, but if you take care of women – it's easier for the mother to pass progressive idea to her kids, mm-hmm. so those kids, especially boys, don't become a big ass fucking asshole and mm-hmm. create all this problem for mm-hmm.
3: the world. I well, it's like the opposite of the cycle of violence. You can then have you can have a cycle of 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 nonviolence, cycle of love. You
2: know. Yeah, and 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 that's what I'm hoping for. And you know, my friend Saad, he he was. Rank as one hundred, one hundred most influential people at Time Magazine twenty eleven. He, he made created this media company from scratch. His family fled to Australia. He came back right after the war started, and those media's really changed people's attitude. He was saying to me, between twenty five to fifty thousand are Taliban members mm-hmm. of a country of forty million. Mm-hmm. So you basically have fifty thousand people causing shit for everyone.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, so it's, it is a minority, and um, I, I, I hope. Um, he, he, this, I mean, I don't want him to joke out of it, but the person who is PR for Taliban, he has a Twitter account. And he's having a pissing match for people who are against Taliban. So I couldn't imagine 10 years ago,
1: mm-hmm.
2: guys who live in cave have a Twitter account. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So things are changing, and they, they watch TV, so they know that they don't want to bring Westerners back. So I, I'm hoping that the
3: more moderate version of Taliban mm-hmm. will... Come realize right. the errors of their of yeah. their ways. Yeah, you don't you don't cause troubles and the westerners will have no excuse to come here If at least they can learn that great.
2: I hope and I hope they do that because mm-hmm. They're not going to have freedom at the level that I'm comfortable with They're just not going to but I'm hoping more than mm-hmm. what it is right now mm-hmm. Because I think the whole world is watching India with those gang rape. It is a horrific mm-hmm. they're putting pressure so Japanese have a word called gaiyatu. It means foreign pressure. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people who live within a culture are afraid to change. So you need someone outside of the group putting pressure on them kind of to change. Them, yeah. Not by war, mm-hmm. but yeah. by persuasion and sometimes even shame. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and uh, I hope that happens. Well, uh, it's,
0: it's nice that the, I think the, those stories are actually seeing light, though, too, because I feel like a lot of those stories are probably covered up yes. uh, systematically just to keep it quiet and just like all negative things that they don't want to get out. But even in America, that rape story with a football team mm-hmm. did you hear about that they covered it up because they didn't want bad word or ba- a negative uh, aura or energy right, to go around right. about the football team they want to keep it under wraps
2: but people need to know that when you do something that, that there should be consequences yeah. <laughs> well
3: they need to acknowledge it happened
0: yeah
2: then there should be consequence
3: you know appropriate well i think in the reason the bigger reason why why both are happening or have happened is the um perspective of women from the groups of people in charge in that in that particular town football was so important that protect the football players at all costs who cares about this poor 16 year old girl and just no one empathized with her no one looked at it from her perspective and so everyone was upset with her yeah they demonized her for for destroying their lives because she got raped and uh same kind of thing in afghanistan or uh, a lot of these countries where women are just viewed as so low that they're not people they, yeah. they don't have their own thoughts and their own motivations and their own needs. And uh, if you never empathize and try to look at it from someone else's perspective yeah. it's very easy to just dismiss them as non-human
2: it, and it's mind-boggling to me because even if you grow up in an environment people are telling me to, uh, if they do something you need to punish them if I had a daughter I don't give a shit if she's a whore you don't do that to my daughter no, you don't, God, no. you don't God, no. be hurt no one deserves
3: to be raped and honestly I take issue with the question of punishment as the way to prevent things in the first place like it's true a that, that a rapist should be should be beaten to within an inch yeah. of their life just to give the um, the uh, d- some satisfaction to their victim, but it's not going to help the situation at all. That person beat to within an inch of their life just became a more violent person. Mm. So I think it needs to be more on the other side of it. There needs to be um, some level of violence or at least aggression that is preventing it. If anyone yeah. in that p- there was one kid that stood up and said, I don't know about this. This isn't really okay. And that was as ballsy as anyone got in any of those parties. And then the fact that everyone else in the room was like, ah, shut up, don't be a buzzkill, that was the end of it. Yeah. If someone had some serious balls and stood up with some aggression and said, absolutely, this is not right, and I won't stand for it, and I will take this outside and fight fight you for it, it fine. That's someone standing up for someone else's rights that couldn't do it for themselves. We need to have more examples of that. I don't know that the solution is, is uh, uh, talking about more painful punishments on the backside because you know we can pretend that the problem mm-hmm. is taken care of as soon as someone goes to prison but that person still exists on the planet and they're still going to come back out and if they experience nothing but pain they're going to just come out and inflict more pain mm-hmm. so i think it's just a matter of more men need to take responsibility for it on the front end and prevent it because it doesn't do anyone any good to punish someone after the fact the rape victim still still got raped still has to deal with that for there time, have so to be there need to stop yeah. it yeah
2: there, we we need to put more
3: effort and time in prevention mm-hmm. care and, and uh, stop blaming the victim yeah it's so unbelievable i was blown away i watched the cnn thing on suvenville and the woman's up there like practically shedding a tear for the fact that these two kids have 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 had their their F, their um football career careers ruined and it's like are you kidding me right now this mm-hmm. is unbelievable so we, we definitely need to relook at well, our whole I think attitude it on also
0: that. just speaks to so much about how the individual is just put on a pedestal in this mm-hmm. culture it's like it's about the individual when they don't look at the collective mm-hmm. and about how they're mm-hmm. affecting people around them, other people's families and the lives and society. It's just about, well, you ruined my kid's chance of becoming whatever the fuck his dream was. Right. And and, and it's and like and you his fucked is more important up. than hers. Exactly. Yeah.
3: To you know, it's it, it is about the individual, but really only when it's a guy. You know yeah. like we don't really have to worry about how much it's going to affect her because we don't really think about her lot in life.
0: Yeah, it's just isolated Mm thinking. It's just ridiculous.
3: Mm -hmm. And when we say guy, we're not
2: trying to be some radical feminist pointing every guy just because they have sex with women. They're rapists. No. You know, if you're listening to this, you know exactly what we're saying. There's those, those scumbags I don't know exactly what's the definition, but similar to pornography, you know it when you see it, mm-hmm. and there are guys like that. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the those, those are the problems, and
0: it, w- it would definitely take, like you said, I think uh, men taking the step up and educating yeah. other men how to be how masculinity is really treating a woman with respect. Oh my God, that would be fucking to the blow their minds. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Because we're supposed to demean them. That is the meaning of masculinity. Right. No, it's not. Right. That's misogyny. That's, that's preventing people from expanding their consciousness from becoming good people, from being human beings. Right. But, I mean, that just takes so long. I mean, it takes time, but it takes
3: It doesn't have to. Well. I don't think it so. Action. I think it's just people need to just uh, <laughs> realize to tell how much it's hurting people other people. Very, but
0: who, a group of people, especially men, who are very convinced that women are second class, mm-hmm. not even second class, but just lower citizens. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just definitely well, take how, a lot of courage. Well, how exactly courage. the entire
3: culture can make a yeah. shift like that is I don't know. I, yeah. But I know that if you look at at the history of the world, we were right there in the 60s and 70s. You yeah. know, we were, And you look at the, the labor abuses in China, we were right there in the 20s and 30s. Everything is cyclical and and fortunately, the overall trend is that more people have rights and more people are seen as equal and, and so great, let's keep it up. Let's stop fighting with each other and let's keep on recognizing that we're all humans. Yeah. And,
2: and, and the fact that you were saying there's more men who need to speak up, you're mm-hmm. doing that. You know, the mm-hmm. fact that you serve eight years and uh... i'm sure there's part of you you know that you're doing the right thing but it must have been tough for you because you still probably have friends in the military and the mm-hmm. fact that you spoke against the war mm-hmm. and things like that i mean oh, yeah, and they don't like that at all Yeah, because to them it's a betrayal right Absolutely. even though it you're is.
3: morally doing the right thing and i'm saying they all hear it as they're wrong and and that i'm i'm saying that that they did wrong and and that's really unfortunate because i don't believe that at all you know a lot of the guys that either either knew me or didn't know me when i was in and just took took issue with with me speaking out against it thought that i was railing against against individuals or or anything like that in the in the, in the military and accused me of like um uh you know armchair quarterbacking and stuff and oh how dare you really you know question right. this after the fact and all that stuff and and that's not what i'm talking about i'm not saying that anyone in the military is um, at fault for going to war, because it wasn't up to them in the first place. Absolutely. Um, and I don't want to say that no one is at fault, but the truth is, what they did in combat, while a lot of these things w- certainly weren't their orders, a lot of people did things that, that were not okay or whatever else, but I still argue that, one, they wouldn't have done so if they weren't there. Yeah. They Like, it breaks you. It actually breaks you. Now, there's a YouTube video of a Marine throwing a puppy off a cliff, and it broke my heart. Like, yeah. that guy... Has got serious problems, that he did it with a smile on his face. And yeah. now, I guarantee you, he is really hurting. You know, he's absolutely hurting because that's an inhuman thing to do. Yeah. It's an absolutely inhuman thing to do. And that someone could do so meant that there was something broken in them at the time. Yeah. And, and that that's what the situation does. And it wasn't
2: their fault. They, they, no. They, they, they've experienced some horrific stuff I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're not, sometimes we're not giving them adequate help for those people and creating mm-hmm. environments easy for them to talk about it, you know. Right. Right. Um, right. And I think before we took a break um I think you know about this documentary called The Invisible War mm-hmm. and uh it really broke my heart because these are the great American women serving US military and vast majority men are not sexual predators no. but I couldn't believe that these women are serving this country such a harassed rape mm-hmm. but I don't it almost me think I don't know what's worse, the actual rape or the way the higher up treat these women, mm-hmm. how to deal with their problems, you know, right. and uh, you you are serving years of military. Many of those men are honorable guys. They're, so, they're the small percentage of sexual predator. I mean,
3: do you think, are they, actually, do, are they actually taking this yeah. serious
2: now? But, uh, well, Leon no, Panetta is trying to
3: are. do something. He's a decent guy. I still don't think they are. They, the real problem is um, that... <sighs> it's tough okay for one it's that um infantry units which is the primary backbone of of both the army and the and the marine corps um in that everyone else's job is is there to be support units for them infantry units generally don't have women there's there's become a few in non-combat roles and now the army is talking about um putting women into actual combat roles but as a result of that it was just a men's club constantly and it's and and uh, it's just, if you're only hanging out with a bunch of dudes, you're just going to become very, you know... Well, misogyny kind of rolls right off your back at that point. You know, it becomes really easy to be dismissive yeah. of women and stuff like that. Especially in in a collective, in a big group, where everyone's kind of, you know, uh, whistling at a girl. No individual is likely to say, hey, that's rude to women. Yeah. Um, so they just start getting exposed to women within the military, and they're all in support jobs. And... They're not promoted very often, very yeah. certainly not as quickly and whatnot, so they're not usually in, in higher-level uh, positions or anything like that. So for one thing, it, it, it comes down to the needs of the military, that if uh, a young woman who is just a mechanic accuses a, 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 a colonel of rape or accuses an infantryman of rape, well, the needs of the military outweigh the needs of any individual within the military, and if the military feels that, that mm-hmm. the male is more important, then they'll sacrifice the career of the woman, no problem but kind of as a as an end result of it is that you end up in this situation where i mean and there's been a, there's 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 been a history of there's been wars in which um they'll uh, go get a battalion of hookers and bring them around yeah. to, to be the entertainment for the for the for the uh, soldiers and Hence the general hookers bu- during the civil war I mean, right yeah um uh, because it's just always been a men's job to go do um the the attitude within the military is that women are there for their own entertainment or yeah. whatever else. Like when we were in Baghdad, um, I had not seen a woman for a month, a month and a half at this point or whatever. And we're about to cross over the river to go into Baghdad. And we pull up and park right next to this truck that's got a blonde woman in the army in there. And everyone is just gawking and staring and staring. And we finally drive away. And she's like, yes, guys, I'm a girl. You know, she has to acknowledge the fact that 300 men are staring at her because it's so out of the ordinary to see a woman yeah, yeah. um but so be- so for whatever reason <coughs> it's it's unfortunately devolved into a situation where a friend of mine once said that um a woman in the military can really only fulfill one of three positions she's either a uh, a bitch a dyke or a slut she either sleeps with everyone that makes a pass at her and everyone's making passes at her or if she's in in which case she's slutty or a, uh, a, a a barracks whore or a barracks slut where she just goes from one room to the next to the next kind of thing is, is the way the joke goes. Or <coughs> if she's not interested and she turns everyone's passes down, she's a bitch. Mm. Or she must be gay. Mm. And so those are the only three identities that many women are, are given the choice to to assume when they're in the military, unfortunately. I think it's changing to some extent because of movies like that. Um, it's and definitely just,
2: putting pressure on them. Right. Sure.
3: It's putting pressure, and it's also, I think, putting some amount of awareness on, yeah. on the guys in and whatnot, um, and certainly on the women. In. But, yeah, it's really quite heartbreaking when you realize that this woman is choosing to do the exact same thing that that, that the man is doing, that she's putting her life yeah. in danger for her country. And then not only does she have to be wary of enemy fire, but she then ha- – and, and for me, remember – this was the most bonding experience you can ever have. You trust these people mm. more than anything, right. and the people you trust more than anything can then turn on a woman and rape her and cause her great, great uh, tra- trauma and fear, and not and and cause her to lose the ability to trust the people who yep. who she's with and should be protecting and keeping. They all need to be keeping each other alive and and safe. And so, there's so many levels to the to the betrayal in that, and then on top of it all, that so many of them are either discouraged from reporting anything, or if they do, they get fired, because it's a lot easier to fire her than... That was com- She's the
0: problem. Person. Get rid of the problem. Right,
3: exactly.
2: That was a common thing in the uh, documentary was nominated for Oscar this year, The Invisible War, mm-hmm. where when she reported, she got fired, kicked mm-hmm. out of the military because mm-hmm. she uh, committed adultery. She got raped. Right. That's not a adultery. In the military, yeah. there
3: are rules against adultery, where they very, oh, very, very rape. rarely hold a man accountable for it. But I've, I've heard a lot of stories of women being kicked out for adultery.
2: I I, ho- I hope they put pressure because and I don't want to live in pressure thinking every every guy is a military rapist. No, there are no. There are in every organization, whether Catholic Church or Boy Scout. Um, I just want... I think most civilians are very ignorant.
3: Like I was shocked. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I wish I could remember the numbers, but it's 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 pretty it's pretty terrifying. The the high degree of yeah. women. I, the number that it, that came to mind was a third, but I feel like that's that's very very low because I think that's actually true for college age women in the U.S. is is almost a third. But the the number that are raped or um, sexually assaulted in some way is just shockingly, shockingly high. Is
0: there like a passive submission that also comes with the women there who kind of reluctantly submit themselves to one of these three roles that you in order to survive? Probably
3: I mean there's a passive submission for pretty much everyone, you know, if you're not if you're not an E three, E four, E five, which is what you get after a couple of years of being in, you don't those really are have ranks the authority, you know, right? Those are those are ratings and ranks. That you don't really have the authority over yourself to say what you're doing on any given day whether you're a guy or a girl so I think implicit in that is quite a bit of submission in the first place and certainly submission to authority and a lot of these cases are a a more senior male to a more junior woman.
0: Because what's interesting I I recently saw uh, an article about a study where women themselves just like general population women were asked about rape and how they view, view rape and how men respond to questions and how women did and how women were just as misogynistic in thinking that women who were raped who most of these women were who were probably not raped to answer these questions, but just women on a general consensus were think that women A deserve it yeah, or they were they're asking blaming. for it. They were you mm-hmm. know, if you are flirty with a guy that like oh, yeah. all these like they I mean they broke it down oh, yeah. to like very specific things and how just even women themselves don't understand mm-hmm. what is happening to their gender mm-hmm. and are also F- falling along, you just into Were you this. About in that? No, not it? at all, because I studied psychology. So no, it's not surprising to me. But, but it's upsetting. It's very upsetting. It's very mm-hmm. disappointing, and that it's still very prevalent, even yeah. with all this information out there, with all this mm-hmm. evidence out there, and it's still that women. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just also kind of like trying to side with the uh, who's the superior gender, women I men are the superior gender. Wha- I thought. Yeah. I
3: thought I thought we got equality in the '60s and '70s. What happened there?
0: So even women who are probably in in higher ranks and who are mm-hmm. you know in, in the military, whatever, have
3: been part of the Apollo. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So it's sad. Just like men and women need more education more on I this, and It's really agreed.
3: disheartening. But uh, so it's a good thing that movies like that are out, and and especially that they're receiving the accolades that they're receiving and Absolutely. getting launched.
2: And in the Leon that I believe um, Secretary of Defense, mm-hmm. he, re- I think he is trying to change it. But um, well, okay, yeah. But the power structure, you know, it's it, it tough. Takes, yeah,
3: you need to put a lot of pressure. It and takes uh, it takes quite a while for something from the top to to really make its way to the yeah. bottom. But mm. that, uh, I'm just hoping the, the, the best, push is
2: important because we have the greatest military in the world, mm-hmm. and uh, just hopefully uh, these issues get better. Yeah. Because yeah. I can't imagine having a daughter and 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 uh, send a daughter to military and these things happen like it was just yeah. you know it's just people have to realize that that girl that you might you're trying to raise could be. Your daughter. sister, or yeah. somebody's sister or daughter, or, his or his somebody's sister. Or yeah. Well, I, I wish yeah. men
0: thought yeah. like that generally. <laughs> I mean, on every level,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> there's a lot of this that yeah. happens every day. Just not even, you know, I mean, not to dismiss any account of rape or anything, but I'm no, just no. saying a, a general thought the general of men. It's always you like it you can problem. treat a woman like shit, and you can mm-hmm. have hookers, and you got because it's not your sister, and it's not your mom, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you would like to ideally think mm-hmm. that men care about women, but I mean, and of course, women. D- I don't know. Whatever. I mean, this is so complex, and there's so many angles to this. But it would be nice if there was a general more awareness awareness (laughs) of this, and if men would would step up to the plate more. Just on individual, everything always starts from how you your own actions Mm -hmm. are. You are, and whatever you do, no matter how much in denial you want to be about it, whatever you do (coughs) has an effect. There's Mm -hmm. cause and effect. So Mm -hmm. everyone is responsible for their actions and uh, you know their contribution to. This
2: kind of uh, behavior. I'm just glad the movie was made and a, a lot of people watched it, and I hope uh, it will put pressure. In them. I think most people,
0: uh, yeah, good that it came m- out.
2: at least they're more aware of it. So I'm yes, just hoping for the best. I agree. Um, before we finish, I, 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 you know, I like to talk now more lighter stuff, mm-hmm. finish it. So, Devin, you know, I'd I like to end the last part with I'd uh, like to hear more about your company, but before that, I was pretty impressed. You you have a special effect background. You work on several several huge movies. A few, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <was that? laughs>
3: yeah, a few. Yeah, yeah. I did. Uh, I worked on 2012. I worked on uh, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Um, another really bad Catherine Hegel movie. I don't remember what. I've, I've had some fun. Yeah. Um, how, how, get how did into you transition that? from military? How did you? Where, yeah. What did you? I actually did, did both you? at the same time. Everyone's 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 always surprised by that. You know, why did you join in going the military from computer world, or why did you go into the computer world from military? I was actually doing both at the same time because because I was a reserve. Um, a, right after we we graduated high high school, a couple of friends of mine and I decided that we wanted to make a uh, a an independent film that could get the attention of George Lucas as he was creating the prequels. That we could work on on the prequels. I really wanted to to be, I wanted to play Anakin Skywalker right. in episodes mm-hmm. two and three. So we got the idea that we we could make a fan film. We'll make our own little Star Wars film, and uh, we're we all look computer like a Jedi. Okay, so oh, do that. I <laughs> you. <think laughs> of, um, uh, we're all computer nerds enough that we felt like okay, we can yeah. do this. Um, and uh, and so by doing so, by by trying to make our own film, we had to learn all the different parts to it. So I learned how to do visual effects and compositing, and and. Uh, uh, kind of how to act and certainly not how to direct, but mm-hmm. you know, we, we all kind of uh, the producer on it, the guy that I started with, Ryan, uh, kind of learned how to organize a business and get yeah. things to make sense. So he went out and did a suit job for a while, and, and actually now he kind of does a lot of our business and he, he started the company with me that, that we're running right now. Um, so because of that I just I had a few uh, shots that I could show off and then you start applying for visual effects jobs and whatnot yeah. and it's it's one of those weird worlds where you have to have credits in order to to get a job of course it's ridiculous so you're doing nothing but craigslist work at first but um after a few years of struggling with craigslist work and 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 doing some TV visual effects and stuff like that I got a few freelance gigs and I actually didn't i uh, do i didn't w- I didn't work for the Visual effects department on Benjamin Button, so i I have a hard time saying that I did visual effects on it. Well, what did you do that. on it? Well, the they movie the, by the way thank you very much well, th- they won the Academy Award for Visual effects, and it was very much specifically because they were aging Brad Pitt backwards, and that was a very challenging thing to do. yeah, mm-hmm. well, so I have a hard time saying I did visual effects on the movie because I had nothing to do with any of that. All I did it was such a long movie that they were trying to trim it out, trim it down, but doing so just by seconds at a time they would take a single take of a, sh- of, a, of a scene and there was a little bit of air between what one actor says and the other. And Because both actors are on camera at the same time, they can't just cut in between and cut out that dead space. Yeah. So we'd cut the frame right in the middle and then shift the timing on the left half of the frame and the timing on the right half of the frame oh. so you can take out that timing. And so you're literally spending weeks wow. working on... I did probably seven shots. And all I was doing was taking a second out of each one or so. You know, and I spent ap- just weeks pulling my hair out. So, um, you spent weeks to take a second. Yeah, to yeah. take to take a second out of out of about seven or eight shots. Um, so it's uh, it's it's not the most um, fulfilling me guess after work you in you that Let uh, me
2: guess after you f- you're finished, you look like that old guy from Benjamin. Yeah, well, pretty much, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, exactly,
3: exactly. So uh, it's pretty thankless work. Unfortunately, I mean, you can you can kind of see the example from the um, the green trend that started after the Academy Award when the um, everyone changed all their profile pictures to green. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Life of Pi won the Academy Award for vis- Best Visual Effects. Meanwhile, the company that did their visual effects—the movie on strike, that could right? not have, no, not on strike. Oh, uh, could this movie could not have been made without visual effects? When people started talking about the book, they said, "Wait a minute, it's a kid and a tiger on a raft. We yeah. can't possibly make this movie." Are you kidding me? Well, it was entirely due to visual effects that they were able to make it. And because of the 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 uh, industry trying to reduce the cost of visual effects more and more and more, it's getting outsour- outsourced and American visual effects houses are collapsing. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. one in particular, the one that did all the visual effects for Life of Pi, filed for bankruptcy uh, two, three weeks before, and their artists hadn't gotten paid for months, literally months. So the guys that did the work to earn the Academy Award had no jobs, Her and presence. there was no hope for jobs because all the visual effects work is pretty much leaving the country. So yeah, they were actually a having a big protest outside. Film, yeah, it? yeah. So sad. they were actually having a big protest outside while it was happening. I remember seeing that, yeah. 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 It was, yeah. Was quite a quite a kick. But so it's a, it's a it's a tough industry. Um, I didn't stay in it kind of specifically for that reason. Did fifty-hour weeks and got paid reasonably, but it's not a very fun, you know. Yeah. And I and I lived in Hollywood and, or I lived in Venice and worked in Hollywood, so it was an hour on either side. So I'm spending yeah. twelve hours a day at work. Who cares how much money you're getting paid? You can't really enjoy your life. So uh, after a few years of, of suffering through that, we were just too tired of it and, and got out of that and, and uh, actually started uh, started our company.
2: What was the name of the company?
3: It's called Happy Owl Studio. And what do you guys do exactly? Um, well, we, um, we kind of started it just as an excuse uh, to get an iPad because um, <laughs> uh, uh, Ryan and I uh, were just big nerds keeping a, a close eye on the, um, the uh, rumor mill around what Apple's up to and whatnot, and we hear this, this, this amazing dream device, iPad, is being bandied around and it's going to get released. Yeah. And just as a good excuse to have an iPad, we thought, well, if we could make an iPad case, we know that would sell really well because I worked for Apple for a couple of years, and they never really had very good cases. Yeah. They had cheap plastic ones. Everyone's got five or six cases they bought over the years, and they don't use them anymore because most of the cases out there are just no good. So we thought if we make our own, and I've got the connections to to what I got at Apple, we can make a big splash and be the first ones to market. Well, that didn't happen. It took us ten months to come to market, but we had a we had a very original design. Uh, we did something called the Clutch, which is like a a lady's purse iPad case made out of leather has a big pocket, so you can store stuff, credit cards and stuff like that. Right. has a shoulder strap. So uh, people really like that. Apple called us and said, hey, we want to sell it. They, they, they sold that, and uh, the other product, we made the wallet for a little while in their stores. Um, this is incredible. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, but ultimately, to kind of keep up with production cycles, um, Ryan went out to China for two months to try to get us to ship, and then I went out to China. This is uh, the next year after they released iPad 2. I went out to China for two months to to kind of work on development and get them to, to, to ship the next the redesign to, to match iPad 2 was it easy to do business possible. with them? yes and no I mean it's a very different it's a very very different culture yeah um, uh, I I thought that the language barrier would be my biggest problem. I went out completely alone without a translator for two months so I I, I thought it was this is gonna be a very difficult thing to do but now it's fine um, language barrier wasn't really a problem it's just but then again you survived this is Iraq a, so well, this, this is a, a, a culture that has been continuously operating for 5,000 years and is very much aware and proud of it, mm-hmm. and for most of that culture, they've had, or not most of it, but the number of times that they had massive famines and had to save every single grain of rice embedded itself on the cultural memory, and they're very much of a saving culture, a recycling oh, culture. Sure. Uh, take advantage of every single scrap possible because you might just need it, and that's beneficial. Um, that that 's awesome actually there's you, you see like backyard recycling happening left and right just because why let anything go to waste when you could use it and that's that 's very inspiring. Um, it can be challenging uh, Western business perceptions versus um, eastern business perceptions really disconnect in some areas so uh, there there are some aspects that make it really challenging um, and so over the over the years, you know we grew more and more wary of of continuing to do so um, do all of our manufacturing overseas. So we're considering um, uh, doing more of our manufacturing uh, locally. We actually started a year ago, we started a new project called the Cashbox, which is a bamboo iPad POS system. And we, from the start, we decided we wanted to do it in the US. We, we explored for a second yeah. whether it would be worth doing it overseas, but it was just so complex and the shipping and et cetera. So we decided to do it in the US and, and it's, we've really been happy with that. We have a lot more control over it. You know, For us, it was weird because most companies that went to China, they had a manufacturing base. They also had sales, and they had everything else, and they could do all those, and then they just take that one aspect of it and s- ship it overseas, and it would reduce your your labor costs. For us, we never started with manufacturing in the U.S. Yeah. We just had a design idea, and we said, "Let's go find a a company to make it for us." So, it's it, it's weird. We never had a perception of um w- of of American labor before we decided yeah. that it wasn't for us, just because that's what the whole culture suggests. If you can do manufacturing, you can do it in China. So when we asked ourselves, do we need to, we, re- we realized that we didn't necessarily. And so the cash box we're making right here in San Diego, we have this, this great big shop called Maker Place, which is an example of um, of, uh, micro fact- of this trend of microfacturing that's happening in the U.S. with um, a couple of companies in San Francisco called uh, Tech Shop are doing something similar where they just have every big piece of hardware and, and, and tool that you could need to build something and the ability for you to learn how to do it right there on the spot. So a lot of companies have sprung up and started making product products out of there, and we're looking at making our whole production line, or our whole um, product line, domestically. But that's still still a uh, a question right now. So it's been it's been a great ride. We've sold to to Apple, to um, um, Think Geek. We're talking to Best Buy. It's been a lot of fun. And I, a I really saw a sample on uh, the thing, and it's beautiful. Thank you. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much.
2: And. Um, it's just, it's just amazing because there's, une- like we like were saying, unemployment among veterans is very high, the fact mm-hmm. that you're able to have a job and create a th- business. And not to
3: mention you create jobs for local other people, San Diego people. That's oh, we're trying. We're still struggling. Yeah. But, uh, but it's, I, I, I'm, I'm over the notion of having a job for someone else. I like yeah. listening to myself. So as long as we can make this work, we're going to.
2: You say your name of the company again.
3: Happy Owl Studio.
2: What's the website?
3: Happyowlstudio.com. And uh, do do you guys have a Twitter account Mm -hmm. or Facebook address? Happy L Studio and Happy L Studio. Facebook slash Happy L Studio and Twitter at Happy L Studio. Awesome. That's actually the big reason why we had to name it such a big, clunky, long name is because, you know, when you're starting a business these days, you have to not only make sure that someone else doesn't have the business name, but they don't have the domain, they don't have the Facebook, they don't have the Twitter. So we ended up with a, what, 21-character long business name, but we have the Facebook and we have the Twitter.
0: Cool. (laughs) No one can take that away from you.
3: Exactly.
2: So what's what's your plan? I mean... um, you know, you you have. It's going to be a successful business. You're going to work hard, but Fingers do you crossed. Have, do do you have a long-term goal now? Because
3: uh, yeah, you know, my no long-term tra- goal I want to view, I want to travel the country. Me and my fiance want to buy an RV, and we want to continue to run the company remotely and travel the country and get to know the whole place as much as possible and travel the world, and just get to know it. You know? Would you Would
2: you have any interest in running for office or politics or anything down the road?
3: I don't know. I've 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 thought about it because who's making the decisions upsets me, and so I've thought, well, I could do a better job, but um, it's a nasty business. It's, um, you know, I've known a lot of guys in my, in similar boats as me that have run and and just, and realized how twisted it is and how you really have to be kind of inside, inside the game to, to, to get anywhere, and I don't know. I mean, uh, when when my fiance found out that you you just have to serve one term as a senator and you can retire with uh, with uh, full benefits for the rest wow. of your life, she's like, "We're doing it. We're running. Yeah. We're running." Is that right? Yeah, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of two terms. Hilarious. Two terms. One or two terms. Yeah, there you go. Two terms. Yeah. That's but um, it. I don't know. I don't know that it's that it's that's worth it. But you know I obviously it's
0: people like you, obviously, that would be that catalyst of change that we need. And yeah. I was uh, I was listening to Joe Rogan and he had Shane Smith on from Vice who uh spent time in Afghanistan. Shane Iraq, Smith. Yeah, oh, yeah. One of the founders of Vice. Um they're talking about how it's like the people who have served in the military are the ones who should be making the calls and who should be the representatives and it's like yeah like you know you have the best perception of it. You've actually done it. Your boots were on the ground. I mean so I mean it would definitely serve all of us but uh, as you're saying it's it's a different mentality right. the people who are in office who
3: who haven't yeah, served yeah, it's like yeah. it's I mean it's like you have to kind of be within the circles of the uh, of the the power cabal in order to kind of be allowed into it. If you're if you're speaking too much outside the message, you're not going to get respect. Like Ron Paul, yeah, had so much momentum going into things, yeah. and then he was just so stepped on and shut out by the by the um, by the media that he didn't really ever really uh, have a chance. So I don't. I know. hope his ideas survive. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I think they I think they have and they can cont- they they will. So. I don't know I've I've thought about you know local city council and stuff like that but I don't I don't really know I it's 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 easy to to say I'd rather keep my head out of it because it's just too nasty of a game mm. but you know I, I I get where you're coming from and I can definitely see that that um, there is a need for people to take responsibility and kind of step up and yeah. not, you know and I definitely make better judgment calls so.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah get involved and care and give it some reading and think before you vote, stuff like that, you know.
2: Mm. You know, there's there's a lot of podcasts, and uh, obviously Lilith and I, we're still learning, and we need to do, learn a lot, and we need to improve a lot. And it's, it's, obviously we don't have the biggest number, but um, the fact is, you know, we we cover a couple other subjects like racism and mm-hmm. people with, like, a intimacy for home. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of them. But um, <laughs> the, the, the fact that people actually listen to this uh, the podcast... It does give me a flicker of hope, like there's actually mm-hmm. people who cares. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm not able to do that kind of stuff, but that at least I, I like the fact that we were able to talk about it and bring awareness to people, and and, and hopefully maybe some young person actually hear it. Mm-hmm. It might click in their head, and maybe they have a smarter solution mm-hmm. that I have no answer for. You know, absolutely. So, I, I'm I'm very grateful that Lily can have a medical background and, and help me with it, and she's so terrific. Oh. bringing the right quality uh, guests because all my friends are just scumbags. So it's <laughs> not really, it's not helping it. So he, she knows a lot of classy people, so. <laughs> Stay
0: classy, San Diego. Yeah. yeah. Boom.
2: But, David, you all, thank you very much. I know you're a busy guy. Thank you. Thank really, you. Really, really appreciate it. And I hope we really could enjoyed get myself. you on the show. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll come down, maybe hopefully a couple months. I like coming down here. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like place to, to visit. tell you the story from Afghanistan. This is my second time going there. Yeah i'm ho- I'm hoping that uh, when we do this art show, my friend David show generous enough to do um um our show over there and he's famous within the world, so bring a lot of awareness mm-hmm. and uh if people want to do any money it's one women a year dot org we're trying mm-hmm. to send women to uh, oxford and uh awesome. because who knows we if we send enough of these girls' mm-hmm. leadership role mm-hmm. become uh you know part of the ruling group in Afghanistan, maybe they yeah. could. Absolutely. For Absolutely. One of
3: the most inspiring people I ever met was a woman from Afghanistan named Malali Joya, and y- you can see in her. She's actually she was a um, a member of parliament that was then kicked out of parliament because she spoke her mind too much. Yeah. Mm. And that's proof right there that you get educated enough, you will get you will get uh, the the ear of the people, and you'll also get resistance. Right, <laughs> and the power structures will resist it, and that tells you that you're doing the right thing. Honestly. Exactly.
0: And so are you, Yoshi. I think it's really commendable
2: that you're going out there to I help agree. the women. I mean, I, it's just so... But it isn't, isn't, I know we got to finish, but the, uh, it was such a weird thing for me because it's such a... I'm from Asia, so the sexism is very strong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Pakistan, uh, Venezuela, Bhutto as a ruler, and Indira Gandhi for India, even Israel had uh, Golda Meyer. It's mm-hmm. so strange that they have uh, these women as a, the highest level office, mm-hmm. and we're still having problems problem over here. Mm-hmm. So... There are some flickers of hope. I, j- I just want things to get better over there. But um, Devin, thank you very much um, during the show. But before we go, I really want to thank Anthony Bench. He's a friend of mine. He does a podcast with uh, uh, Chris Gore, and he was generous enough to come in uh, to San Diego and do this podcast for free because the uh, usual audio guy couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So he volunteered. He doesn't. He said he won't accept any money. So he was very. Kind enough to come down and, and spare his, a day after his birthday to do this. So yes, Happy, Happy birthday, birthday.
0: Anthony. <laughs> Thank you. Yay.
2: So Anthony's Follow
0: Anthony on Twitter. What was your Twitter?
2: At This Game Cheats.
0: At This Game Cheats.
2: And uh, he's working for IDW, which is a very big comic. Third attorney there. He's, he's looking for work. He's graduating soon. So um, please, you know, um, he works on Chris Gore. Very knowledgeable. He He's worked with Kevin Smith. Guy. Hire him. Yeah, you know he he he. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm very grateful that he 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 did this because you know mm-hmm. um, I I really enjoyed this podcast. It's one yeah. of my favorite ones for sure. I've done a lot of it. And uh, Anthony, thank you very much. So Anthony Bench, give give the guy a job. He's mm-hmm. interning at IDW, and uh, the audio sounds great on it. And th- thanks, Anthony. So um, <laughs> thanks, Anthony. The best we can do it. Such short notice. <laughs> so. Thank, Thank you, you very we'll much and I uh, hope I come home with David Joseph back from <laughs> Afghanistan. everyone. Yes. yes, please do. And we thanks, love Devin. you,
0: Yoshi. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, too. Devin.
2: I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank, Thank, you. You, Thank you, Devin. Great American you. Bye guys.
1: <laughs>